What's up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We've got a great show lined for you guys today. It's the calm before the storm. March Madness is on the horizon right around the corner next week. Um, we will have a field that is set. Prior to that, we have two major, major blue bloods that will not be part of that field, both being eliminated in uh, kind of bizarre fashion. So we'll talk about kind of what we make of these seasons from Duke and Kentucky later on. Also, mega, mega contract in the NFL. Dak Prescott gets his money. It's a record-breaking deal. We'll give you guys the, the lowdown on that and whether whether or not it was smart for Dallas to move forward in this way. And, boy, an update from last week's podcast. We talked about Les Miles and his uh, transgressions back at LSU, how there didn't seem to be any real ramifications for what happened well, for him having his job over at Kansas. Now, the former, he's not the former Kansas head football coach because he is now out of a job, along with Jeff Long, the athletic director that hired him, who's had a long-term relationship with Les Miles. So we'll talk about that as well in the show. Should be a great one. Joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. Kendall, I gotta admit, I, today... I, I'm, you know, for 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 the fans, I'm a St. John. I, I'm a, I grew up a St. John's fan, so first of all, it was a tough day considering they they were bounced out of the quarterfinals of the Big East tournament, and they will almost certainly not be playing in the Big Dance this year. And while I don't normally root for Georgetown as a Knicks fan, it's hard not to root for Patrick Ewing, who is the head coach of uh, Georgetown. It's kind of been a rocky start to his head coaching career. Um, they haven't had the greatest season, but they had a just a monster win against Villanova, which um, obviously brought a smile to a lot of Nick fans' uh, you know faces. But what was funny or really ironic was after the game, uh, he spoke about some of the issues he had walking around Madison Square Garden. It was it was weird because it started with a conversation he had after the game with you know I guess the people who do the post game for Fox Sports. He said. You know, these people don't understand. This is my house, which was really funny. And I, I was like, all right, Pat, do your thing. I, I understand that. Um, he's usually pretty uh, modest. So I was surprised to hear him speak so with his chest about uh, what he means to that building. But then in the postgame press conference, it made sense why he was kind of feeling himself. And perhaps maybe that little energy, that little chip on his shoulder, that taking it personally in this game against Villanova made sense when they actually stepped out on the floor Um and it made more sense when we heard about him in the press conference after the game because apparently he said that there were folks at MSG, the security guards, who were accosting him, who were who were asking him for certain badges to make sure that he was cleared to enter certain parts of the arena. And he said, yo, do these fools know who I am? How the hell do they not know I'm Patrick Ewing? That's basically what he said in the post-game press conference. You know, James Olin and MSG, they put out a statement saying that they, they cleared everything out with Patrick Ewing. But... Kendall, how is it possible that anybody who works at Madison Square Garden as a security guard doesn't know who Patrick Ewing is? That, to me, is still hard to find. I'm not blaming Dolan. I know a lot of people are blaming Dolan because they want to blame for everything. I mean, he, he don't know. He can't control some overzealous guys who don't know, some more cops who don't know what they're doing. But I just feel like you're in the building, like, hundreds of hours of the day throughout the year. And you haven't seen that guy's picture <laughs> Over the wall, you have you don't see his jersey in the rafters. He's seven feet tall. Like that, that was really hard for me to figure out. It, it, it's a it's a funny story, but it's just crazy to me that 
Patrick Ewing can't walk around MSG without being accosted by uh, by the stormtroopers who, who work at that building. <laughs> um, so first of all, uh, Patrick Ewing was clearly the the seven foot embodiment of the Jordan. I took it personally meme today. Yeah, he uh, was. He coached his behind <laughs> off in that game. They had a great game. Shout out to Patrick Ewing. Obviously, we'll see. You know, depending on on when you listen to this podcast, we'll see how long their run goes. But they had a shocking win. So yeah, yeah he, he, he definitely he took it personally. Last dance. Um, but uh, so it's interesting in terms of what the security guards. I mean, look. I mean. You know, I mean, look, when I was when I was working with the Eagles, I mean, I could walk all around the link. I didn't need any security. I didn't need any badges. Everybody knew who I was. <laughs> um, yeah, like, no. Nah, can you add it like that? <laughs> yeah, nah. I, it's certainly, you know, in my experience, like there are certainly, you know, <laughs> you know, per, team personnel that don't need uh, security badges. You know, like, you know, I don't think Doug Peters, I never think, I don't think I ever saw Doug Peters walking around with some sort of uh, badge, you know, as if he had, you know, walking around the link, you know, trying to get from place to place. I think you kind of understood who he was. Um, now, to be fair, I mean, look, this is Madison Square Garden, and, you know, Patrick Ewing isn't the coach of the Knicks. He's not the GM of the Knicks. He's not the GM of the Rangers, you know, so it's, it's I guess it's different, but... At the same time, like, you know, he's a coach in the Big East tournament, and he's a very, he's the most identifiable coach in the Big East, in Madison Square Garden, even more so than Jay Wright, who's won two national championships. Like, there's anybody you should know is Patrick Ewing. So, to me, yeah, it it goes, it goes both ways. I mean, look, the only, the only excuse I'll give them, and I I think it's, it's elite, but it is, we are in COVID times, I don't know if... People can just be walking around doing anything mm. now without right. a certain level of clearance. Right. You know, you got to know what team somebody's with. Is there mm. a thing? I don't know. Yeah, I, but possible. that's the only thing I'll say. And I feel like in a pre-COVID world, I don't think this happens. Mm. But, you know, but I don't know. that You know, I, I can't really answer that. They still let them through and stuff. So some of the stuff is just like, again, you like you don't need to see Pat Ewing's you know, ID, you know? Yeah, like it's seven said, feet if a tall. man walks to a bar, you know, the, the bartender's not going to card the guy and say, oh, how old are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, some of the stuff has to be like, if you know it's Patrick Ewing, then you're going to let Patrick Ewing go if Patrick was allowed. If he's not allowed for whatever reason, which I don't see why it would be, then you'll just tell him, hey, Pat, you know, this is a, uh, you know, <laughs> not your time or whatever. So to me, like, I don't get it because, again, you should know who Patrick Ewing is. So from that perspective, I think, he doesn't have a reason to be upset, regardless of whatever the protocols protocol. And look, and look, there's a chance, you know, you know, shout out to, you know, people who working hard during this pandemic, uh, allowing this tournament to go on at MSG. Uh, so I don't want to, you know, lose sight of that. And those people are out there working hard and, and out there on the front lines to some, to some degree. But I, I guess, you know, no, maybe there's some young cats out there. Maybe they got some 22, 23 year olds. He's wearing a mask, probably. Yeah, maybe he's wearing a mask, so they don't. I, I just I, the thing I couldn't get behind was that he's seven feet tall. Yeah. I'm assuming that guy has something to do with basketball. Here. If I know nothing about the sport, if I don't really pay attention, I don't know anything about sports or basketball. But I see, but I know I'm at. I know I'm working a basketball tournament. He's and probably seven, wearing some Jordan Brand Georgetown. Yeah, gear. he's obviously wearing Georgetown gear because they're not. They don't wear suits anymore. Like so, yeah. he's 100 wearing Georgetown gear. And he's seven feet tall. Even if I didn't know who Patrick Ewing was, which is still crazy to me considering, again, I've been in Mad Square Garden since the renovations. His pictures are everywhere. 
yeah. would still be like, I'm sure he's fine. Like that, that it's it's just remarkable sometimes with this organization and just like how. And then you see the statement they put out. Yeah, he they called they called him they cleared it up. I'm like, why did they they didn't have to put out a statement? I'll be honest. That that to me that was like Dolan doing like extra damage control. I mean, definitely Dolan. It definitely was James. That was Dolan's. That was Dolan's. Yeah, that was 100 Dolan doing that. I will say it is a little bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because look, like for better or for worse, like Dolan has his reputation now of this lack of respect for. The people that quote unquote kind of <laughs> right, built the right. building because of what happened with Oakley. So, like, I don't, I just, like, this was, you know, Pat saying this on national TV or at least, you know, him, you know, getting, giving a soundbite that's not being played on national TV everywhere. Like, it just, it, it was a bad look. And I think he felt like, how do I let this go considering what pe- people think this is another Oakley situation, which they do anyway. But I, I don't, I almost don't mind the statement. Um, it wasn't nearly as petty as some of the past statements he's had when it came to like Spike or Oakley, but it was much more professional. But yeah, I mean, it's just they gotta lighten up over there, man. We can't every. I, I, I'm tired of every season. Some Nick Great is having a problem with security. Like that, <laughs> this doesn't happen in any other organization. And, <laughs> uh, and like this one wasn't even at a Nick game. Like I, I like like. And I, you know, I don't know. We've been to MSG. I mean, they are kind of tight. Yeah, I was they're, yeah, they're definitely. Not, not think about it. They, they are definitely tighter than Barclays. Yeah. <laughs> I had to think about. It. I was like, they ain't that bad. I'm like, I was like, oh, I've been yelled at by them clowns a couple of times. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, and even though I did nothing wrong. So like, yeah, they gotta lighten up over there. I know it's a, it's a soft, it's a it's a big target, and they gotta be very take their job very seriously, because um, the mo- it is the world famous arena, but. Just chill. This is, they can relax. The other thing I want to talk about, Kendall, and staying with the Knicks and in some ways kind of staying in the same ballpark with, like, operations over at MSG. Uh, shout out to Yaron Weissman. He, he, you know, he's a, a freelance writer. He's written for a lot of different places. He wrote a book about the Sixers. He wrote a, a pretty expense, expansive piece on just how things have been running with the New York Knicks. And he kind of really centered it around the draft process. And there were some major takeaways here. Number one, uh, Nick fans have William Wesley to thank for them taking Emmanuel quickly because he seemed to be the guy that was really banging the drum and, and really uh, calling for the Knicks to make the move, even though there were some that thought maybe he was a little too high and maybe that you would trade down to get a player like him. He was the guy that said, you got to take him now. He was afraid that Boston would actually take Emmanuel quickly, who was uh, right now, I think certainly an all NBA rookie first teamer, uh, the way he's playing. Assuming they don't do, I don't know how they do. Do they do guards and forwards? How do they do? So, guys, uh, the rookie, they typically do not. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's non positional, right? So, if that's yeah, the case, yeah. then he's almost certain. If his guards and, you know, him and Halliburton and Ball, like that second spot after Ball might be a little bit of a fight. But, like, he's definitely all NBA rookie first or second team. And he's had a great season. But what was fascinating was to see just how much influence Wesley seems to have in basketball decisions. And he's one of the five he's one of the five, you know, guys that have that kind of power. You know, he's in the he's in the inner circle. Yeah, he's he's I mean, you say he's in the inner circle. I mean, this article may sound like he 
kind of is the inner circle. Like, it's up to Rose yeah. to decide whether or not he takes his suggestion. Rose like, has he, final say. He has, but like, but like Rose, but like William Wesley can make a call. And if Rose agrees with it, it's not uh, well. Let me get the rest of the room kind of thing. Like that's the way I that's the way I took it. And what was fascinating about that was, you know, the other guy in the in the fold that seemed to have a lot of big voices, Brock Allen, who they who they brought in yes. from Cleveland. Nowhere in the article really did we hear very much about Scott Perry, which is kind not of interesting all, right? because Perry is the general manager. So. Under most organizations, the general manager will be the guy that really you would rely on most for basketball-like decisions. I know technically Wes is a pres is like a vice president, but like you would think that like Scott Perry would be the guy who's kind of the in and out kind of like basketball guy. And I don't hear, I never heard one thing in this article about what he thought about anything Knicks were doing from a basketball standpoint. We know he's in the room, but his lack of involvement here suggest that maybe he's kind of uh kind of like a de facto yeah. general manager. Like like is he right. is he really the general manager? Like it seems like Wes and Aller seem to have way more of an ear. You know, you know, Tibbs will make his we'll get the Tibbs in a second. He'll make his recommendations too. But very little about any influence uh Scott Perry has had on the major decision Knicks have made this offseason. Which is I won't say the most shocking thing in the world, but considering they kept him around when they could have easily said, we're going to move off from Scott Perry because he only had one year left on his deal, I was a little surprised by it. So, the Scott Perry piece of it, look, I mean, the article, very good article. It's but, a great uh, article. I, I think if you're a yeah. basketball fan and you just want to know anything about how the Knicks have been yeah. doing because they've been this turnaround, like, it's, it, there's a lot of great stuff in here. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I, I feel like it I'll, – I'll, I'll say this. You know, I think from the point of view of where they were writing the article, like there wasn't – I'm surprised there was no mention of Scott Perry, but is there a way in which you can write that article where Scott Perry was involved on draft night where you don't mention him in that article? They didn't go really in-depth on the decision to draft Obi Toppin, which – uh, no surprise. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it, see, it seemed like it seemed like it was kind of a no-brainer for everybody. Like it seemed right. like that's who they wanted, and when he fell, they were thrilled. Right. It seemed you like know, he was yeah. far and away the pick. <clears throat> it seemed like uh-huh. he was far and away the guy that most people wanted in that room. Right, and that they thought Cleveland might get him, and that they were super right. excited when he when he he ended up there, yeah. which was a lot of stuff that we had heard at the time. Yeah, we heard it on the dirt while it was happening. <laughs> Wolves kept saying that, you know, <laughs> as soon as it happened. Yeah, um, so you know, I mean, is there is was he maybe was he more instrumental in the scouting process at that eight spot rather than you know at, at twenty or twenty three initially and then they dropped yeah. him and he traded down, mm-hmm. um, you know maybe at that maybe once you get to that point maybe now Wes is like get my guy. I mean, look, Obi Toppin was a CAA guy, so it's not like I don't know, I don't know what to right. make of it, but. Um, Look, uh, you know, from from the perspective of, you know, clearly, look, they're they're trying. There was a little bit of, um, it was written in a positive light, and things are going well. Like I said, they didn't dive really into the topping thing as much as, uh, the 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 quickly thing. But the quickly thing is interesting because, I mean, for one, I mean, you know, as a Celtics fan, uh, <laughs> very definitely interesting to hear that they thought quickly, uh, was going to be taken by Boston. 
Um, I remember we, when we we talked about it on draft night when the Knicks traded traded down. Um, they, they traded down and they traded back up, right? Uh, they traded no, they traded up and then traded down. This is what I, how I remember it. Right, 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 right. right. <clears throat> they traded up and then they traded down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I remember because I remember at the time we talked about it. Oh, you know what it was? So well, yeah, what we talked about at the time was when they traded down that second time. Um, I, I remember we were like, why didn't the Knicks just draft quickly at 30 something? You know what I mean? Like, right. and at, at the time, like I was, you know, me and I think, you know, and our dad was also saying like, look, I mean, maybe they thought a team was going to draft <laughs> quickly mm-hmm. in between them. You know, he wasn't protected to go there, but I was like, look, that's a lot of spots, you know, five, six spots is a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and the Celtics did have a pick in between there, uh, that they ended up trading, but that, so that, that's it. That, that could be interesting. Um, and obviously the Celtics had a pick right before the Knicks, uh, right after the Knicks at 23, when they did end up trading trading down, and they drafted Pritchard. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, 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 that that part of the article I think was the most interesting aspect to it. Um, but to me, I just want to know what what did Wes know about quickly? You know, was it the work? I mean, they talked about his shooting being yeah, so high it seemed, level. It seemed, it seemed like Wes really. Really drove him. The Knicks needed shooting, and he thought this guy was the best shooter. And that you know, and it see, and what was interesting was it seemed like there was pushback in the room. It seemed like not everyone was sold that this was the guy. Yeah, Al, it seemed like Allen was kind of like, eh, I don't know about this. Yeah, and that the the scouting department was like, eh. yeah. And look, I mean, I mean, obviously we do our own draft work mm-hmm. and. Uh, there's plenty of people, you know, on the internet that do their own draft work, and it was pretty much unanimous that Emmanuel quickly was at best a second round prospect, second round pick, exactly. Um, you know, we talked about him. I, I I thought he would be a nice a nice guy to look at for some teams drafting in the 40s. I was mm-hmm. like, I think Emmanuel quickly would be a nice piece for a team like the Pacers. Um, but when they drafted him at you know 25 or 26. It was oh okay. This is a this is a stretch. Not that I don't like to play. Not that I hate the player, but it, it, it's a reach, and you didn't need to draft him this high. At least that was the uh, the assumption at the time. Right. So was it the was it the Kentucky connection? I think absolutely. I think it had to be. You know, Calipari, Kenny Payne, you know, whoever else he knows. He probably knows quickly personally himself. Probably knows him pretty well. Um, it's it, to me, I think that had to play a factor. And if you ever, I mean, just watching quickly in his rookie year, the most impressive thing about him isn't really any of his physical traits. I think it's his mental makeup, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, for a guy that's a rookie, you know, he, he, he carries himself like a veteran. Plays like a vet, and exactly. He plays like a vet. And that's why I think he's garnered so much respect around the league um, from older players. So uh, that's, it's not surprising that anybody that's been around Emmanuel quickly, you know, you would you would want that guy on your team. The other the other thing about this article, it's funny you say you, you felt this article was written in a positive light. I didn't get that impression, and I don't know. Like you're a Celtic fan, I'm a Knicks fan, so maybe that's that's interesting. Right. That's the perspective. But like to me, like you know, shout out to Jonathan Macri who's been on this podcast before. Like you know, he he interviewed Yaron Weitzman, and he kind of said the question. He asked the question that I asked after reading this article, which was, 
the article kind of sums up with obviously a lot of the moves the Knicks have made have worked. But there are pockets that are thrown in there that are troubling. You know, Tibbs really, really wanted them. Well, not really. He he pushed for them to perhaps maybe use RJ Mitch to get a veteran. Uh, he really badly wanted Derrick Rose in the offseason, um, which they ended up doing anyway. And offensively, the team is actually much better for it now. But doing it in the offseason may have cost him more. It may have been a little more controversial, obviously. Um, and he's kind of been pushing, pushing, pushing for uh, better players. And I don't know. I guess to me, the way this team works and, and kind of West just throwing guys out there, like, yeah, he loved quickly, but he also was pushing for Nick Richards, which Nick Richards is a young guy. I mean, there's, there's no telling. Maybe he cannot end up being a good NBA player. But, I mean, Nick Richards in the first round just would have been Looney Tunes uh, to me, especially considering well, you got Mitchell yeah. Robinson. And look, that's that's what we talked about when they hired Rose and ultimately Worldwide West. That look, this is gonna be there's gonna be a lot of Kentucky connections on this team. Like, just be prepared for it. So then, the question uh, that 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 Macri posed was, I mean, is this how good organizations function? Like, and it, it, it was a little. It was a little. I I don't want to take anything away from exactly. You guys made the right moves, but I, but it did feel a little bit like man. Like one or two steps a different way, and this could have went a whole different direction and in a bad that's way. Why, that's why I mentioned that I want to know more about what happened with the uh, with the the top and pick because to me, like they, you know, there was a team like there wasn't much in, into that decision, and like. Yeah, like is that the is that was that the, was that an issue? Like we know the Tottenham pick hasn't been spectacular. I, I think more people are down on it than I am right now. But questions to be had about all right, you know, as well as Tyree Talburn has played, he was on the board. Mm-hmm. You know, Denny Abdi has been up and down, but um, you know, he was on the board. Uh, to me, like where where were their heads at? You know, when they drafted Obi Toppin. Um, and why did they pick him over a guy? Like, or was it just that Tyrese Halliburton didn't want to be there? You know, that was well. The, the other the other bit of information in this article that we learned um, was that Thibodeau didn't think Randall was all that good. So, if you come in with a new front office, they watched Randall play. I mean, they didn't watch him for a very short amount of time because it was only a couple of games before the season was over. But then they watched tape of Randall from last season. And they know what his career is like. I mean, when it comes to the top and pick, maybe it was kind of just like a simple one plus one equals two. It's like, okay, you have a power forward who you pay a lot of money for, but is nowhere close to, you know, um, living up to the hype or living up to that contract. And there's a young power forward from New York City who's uh, an exciting player that we think has a lot of potential. I mean, again, there's not a lot written there, but to me, like, there may be, there's clues in here to suggest that, like, it kind of we kind of know what the plan was. The plan was to draft top and right. eventually get Randall out of here because he wasn't that good, and then continue building through there. It seems like no one, not even the Knicks organization, foresaw Julius Randall being a legitimate like All NBA type guy, which is how he's playing right now. It's gonna be fascinating to see. I mean, look, the Knicks aren't drafting nearly as high. Doesn't seem like they're gonna be drafting nearly as high this season as. We thought they would. Yeah, they won't be drafting at eight. 
I mean, we'll see if they make yeah. the playoffs, but it's not going to be. They're going to be one of the teams that, yeah. you know, barely And, you know, well, coming into the season, people thought, oh, Knicks will definitely have a top five pick. And that's I know. side of the water, the way Dallas has also played well. So, um, you know, so it, it would have been interesting to see, like, how would they approach, like, drafting in this draft, where even better players than there were last year. Um you know, even more high-profile guys, like, would they have reached for, you know, Jalen Green, you know, who signed with CAA, or, you know, how would that have worked? I don't know. Um, and we still may end up asking those questions, but... So, I don't know if you have anything else on the article, but I did want to ask you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, look, I don't know, we really didn't get too much into it last last week. Yeah. But there was... we I think we mentioned it, we may have mentioned it, but there was the article... Or not even the article. It was Brian Windhorst mentioning that um, he thinks that there's a player that will be a Nick. That a star. That he said a star request, or two superstars. Yeah, that will player. request a trade to the Knicks. That will request a trade to the Knicks in the next twelve months. Um, Jay Williams just came out and was like, "Oh, when Wendy's saying that, he's talking about Devin Booker." Um, personally, I don't interpret it like that. Maybe Jay Williams has intel. Jay Williams, you know, obviously close to Kevin Durant and his camp. You know, he's he's in somebody's inner circle. Maybe does he probably has more intel than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but from an outsider looking in, I don't, I don't know how that makes much sense given how well uh, Phoenix has played. I would have said that maybe a year ago, but now. So here's the uh, thing. Now twelve so, months is a long time. But yeah. So, so here's the thing. I think with players, Devin Booker's age. And it's weird because he's been on a loser for so long. So that kind of skews it a little bit. But I don't know if, like, being this championship contender is, like, necessarily going to be the thing that makes you want to stay on a team. Like, think about when Cabral Anthony demanded a trade to the Knicks or to Brooklyn, to Brooklyn, one of the two, though we know he wanted New York more. Like, Denver was much better. Denver was a much better team than the New York Knicks. Much better. They just went to the conference finals the year prior to that, you know, the season before that. Like, uh, they were, they had a really disappointing playoffs the year before where they got bounced out of the first round. But they were a team in the West that was in the mix, for sure. Like, you didn't, nobody's all Denver, like, they're not even a conversation. They're barely a playoff team. They were a perennial playoff team. And Melo looked at the situation and was like, nah, get me out of here. They could have easily, he could have easily stayed at Denver, signed the five-year extension that they were offering him. And they would have been a perennial, perennial playoff team. He might have wanted to kill George Carl at some point in their relationship. But they would have been fine, is my point. So every now and then you'll have the situation. I mean, think about Darren Williams. When Darren Williams requested the trade, Utah was a good team. They yeah. were a good team. They were going to be a playoff the team. Line contenders, yeah. Yeah, and he was like, ah, no, nah, get me out of here. Like, I think it has certain... Utah were like how Denver and Utah are now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, that like feel like they're one piece away from com- from competing. So some of these guys, I know people are like, oh, but like Booker and Towns and and Mitchell, these guys signed long extensions. I'm like, yeah, but like we as we've seen with Paul George, like that doesn't mean anything anymore. This is a new era. Like, yeah, it really does. Um, and especially because if you make enough noise, because if you make enough noise, I mean, these guys are more bold now. Like there was a there was a time where you would think that team would just sit tight and be like, yo, you ain't, you ain't going nowhere. Like, you, you got way too much time. But, like, that time is kind of over, I feel like. 
The media guy decides he wants to go. There's nothing you can do, as we saw with James Harden. And if they're willing to push it, media machine won't let that happen like anymore. Like, won't let a guy get completely roasted. Like, even Anthony Davis, he got. But for the most part, like, and some of that was the LeBron stuff. But like, for the most part, like, you know, let's play LeBron. What are you gonna do? Even Harden, like Harden, had the worst one, and. It was bad for you know a week or two, but once he got to Brooklyn, like, it now still people, okay. wasn't as, and it still even wasn't like if Harden did what he did uh, five years ago. Oh man, it would have been he would have had a really rough time with the media. Like it would have yeah. been a whole different conversation. But people's perspectives of this aspect of sports, player movement. Yeah. Uh, just you know, player desire to to be happy and where they are, it's just evolved. It's into something different. Yeah, we can argue if it's good or bad, so, but that's not really the point. The point is it's different. So, so Wendy's saying that. I don't know if he. I don't, so here's the thing. I don't know if he has anybody. I don't know if he has anybody in mind. I think a lot of people are jumping. Oh, who's saying? I don't. I don't. Talk. Is he just saying? Look, the Knicks are playing good. Mm-hmm. The Knicks. Leon Rose, World Wide West, somebody's gonna want to go there. I don't know who. It's it's one plus one equals two to me. What he was doing to me, he the last time this happened, Carmelo Anthony became a Nick. <laughs> the last time Knicks showed any promise with a young team, someone wanted to be a Nick. That's the whole thing about the Nick organization. People say, oh, it has no cachet, nobody cares about it. It's like it does. They just you have to win something. The Knicks haven't won in twenty years consistently, so that's a and that's problem. always been my thing. When it came to should the Knicks tank or not, I'm like I always say. I mean, I mean, you tell them about free agents, but you gotta you gotta show some level of life before a guy just wants to sign onto your team. Because nobody, because guys, it was, it was clear is the, the the aura of the mecca, which has not become like a you know a, a cliche, like isn't enough for a guy to be like I'm going to risk it all and take incredible media heat for trying to lift this terrible franchise. Like, nobody's going to do that. But if they feel like, oh, they got something going on over there, I could maybe make it work. They'll make that jump. It just, nobody besides Melo has had that perspective because of look at the guys they've targeted when they've targeted them, besides Melo, and things were things were bad <laughs> every single time. Amari came because the money was great. And I love Amari, and shout out to Amari for coming here. But, like... It, it was it, it was clear when you talk about the elite 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 guys like that's not gonna bring them they gotta see some kind of progress some kind of thing to say okay I can go there and we can win so with someone like Booker yeah he's on a great team but he may just feel like yo in my career like I don't want to be here forever and if there's a spot that I like more that makes more sense and that I'm not on an awful team I would make that move I mean he's been in Phoenix his entire career that's the thing too I think some of these guys aren't they don't come into the league thinking, like, oh, I want to play for this team for the rest of my career. Like, that's how it was in the 80s and 90s. Like, I don't know how many times you see articles. I mean, you see articles, see old videos. Guys being like, yeah, I, I hope I retire with the team I played for. Like, it's just the way, again, the way athletes view these franchises is so different now. So when the people say, well, what superstars are out there because all of them are on winning teams, I'm like, it don't take that. Like, I, I, so, I don't think that matters. Unless you play on the Lakers or the Nets, I think everyone else is free game. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll be the guy, and I think that they're, I think I, I think Wynn Horse is talking about a specific player. 
Um, and I think it's either two candidates. I think the chance he's not talking about a specific player because, it's like mm-hmm. you said, the Knicks are. It's an interesting situation. One of the assets, more if maybe the strongest asset base in the league of a team that guys would want to go to, uh, in terms of being a big market and having a ton of young players that you would view expendable. Um, so I, but I think he's talking about a specific player. My guess, it's either I'm I'm ninety percent, not ninety. I'll, I'll say I'm seventy five percent sure it's Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, which I had mentioned the Towns Knicks thing a couple weeks ago, like before mm. he had even said this. I was like, yeah, you know, we were talking about the Wolves. We were just talking about doing our NBA kind of round. And I was like, yeah, Towns is going to ask for a trade uh, probably in the offseason. <laughs> and well, it's I funny because he, he, recently, he recently said that he was committed there. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's that's what he is, said. I mean, it, know, I'm, I'm not yeah, saying it, that it means anything, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to play that back. You know, in a couple months. I mean, Kyrie, hashtag Kyrie. But um, regardless, yeah, I think the Towns thing, I already laid it out on our podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, but, it, you know, I mean, just connect some of the dots. CA connection, local connection, the Minnesota uh, team being just completely, like, inept. Like, they can't win games. Um, and the Knicks have a lot of talent. Uh, so, yeah, to me, I think Towns is the one that makes the most sense. But yeah, Towns in a weird spot where I just feel like with him, the timeline for where Minnesota is and where he is in his career is just so off. It like, is. Towns, at this stage of his career, what he's accomplished in this league. He needs to be stat- beaten. Stature of player he is. Like, he shouldn't be worried about, you know, Anthony Edwards and, you know, uh, you know Jalen Suggs next year or something. Like, that just yeah. shouldn't be. Like, that's not his timeline. Like, his timeline... Is he's twenty? He's uh he's twenty five years old. He's gonna be twenty six. Um, like he's entering the prime of his career. He, he just, you know, there's a chance that the, the there's a very good chance considering we we both really like his draft that the Timberwolves be in position to draft a very good player who can come in and 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 really, uh, maybe in down the line make a difference. But there's just no way, given the guys they have, that it makes sense for him to really be on this squad. Which is why when he said that he was committed to. Minnesota long term, I didn't really understand that. Like, I didn't know why he would say that because he shouldn't. Like, to be honest, like it's great, it's noble. Like, it's great. I'm not like saying that, like you know, like oh you should leave. Like, like I hate these people say oh you should leave whatever. But to me, like this is a badly run organization, and they're just not in the same ballpark when it comes to what he should be trying to accomplish and what they can feasibly do in the next three years. T Wolves have some no pun intended T leaves that are set up that maybe in a couple of years they could actually start to turn this around a little bit, but it's gonna take a couple of years at least. Yeah. And we I mean, know there's Towns, no grew up a Knicks fan. We know he's from New Jersey. Yeah. So so, yeah, so you know, there is that stereotype no there. As bad for them to be as bad uh as they've been, but because they've had COVID issues and stuff, but uh they were brought in. They brought in Russell and Towns to compete. to be what to be at Phoenix is. And yeah, I mean, they're, again, they're the worst team in the league. I mean, I shouldn't. There's no reason for that. Um, the other guy I think might be Bradley Beal. You know, I mean, we had the report from Michael K that what Worldwide West has been, you know, working behind the scenes to try and get uh, Beal to uh, New York. 
Definitely, you know, a sketchy kind of report because, like, I mean, Wes, you know, a top Knicks executive. You know, what I mean, this was this was the stuff when you heard that he was going on the books. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Wes was not thrilled, <laughs> thrilled that, that you know oh, his, his work was being put out on uh you know the the top of the four o'clock on the Michael K show. Yeah, I had to check. I mean, he's Michael K C A A. He is not. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, take that, 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 that was a smart. That was a smart look, though. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, maybe that's his source, or you know, maybe it's a, uh, it's the opposite. Maybe it's not a source. Yeah. And that's why he's, he he's he doesn't care about yeah right. and charity. So yeah, um, look, I mean, we hear this stuff about Pat Riley also. <laughs> yeah, he's he's running, oh, yeah. he runs the Miami, and you know, Pat Riley, he really wants yachts. And it's like, all right, he's, he's working behind the scenes trying to yacht. So. But yeah, you heard the report about them trying to get Beal, and then a week later, when when Horace says that, I don't know. I don't know if that's a coincidence. So I do throw I throw a little bit on the Beal thing as well. Um, I mean, I much rather. The, the only count. problem, I guess, the one problem with any trade with the Knicks is they're kind of in this weird spot because this is like not. Well, I guess it depends on how you view them. I mean, to me, when Melo made the jump and wanted to come to the Knicks. He wanted to play with Amari Stoudemire, who was playing like at, at an MVP candidate level when he was there. Um, and he had been friends with Mel for a long time. I guess my question would be, is, like, do these guys really think Randall is that great to where they, they feel like if I go there with Randall, we'll, we'll be able to compete? Whether it be a town, whether it be a Booker or a, a Beal? Because nobody else on the team is going to be left. <laughs> once they make this trade, if you're talking about um, if you're talking about a, a Bradley Beal, that's going to cost them R.J. Barrett. It's going to cost them probably Emmanuel quickly, and it may even cost them Toppin and a pick or picks. That's just so the, 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 like I know, but like the, the 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 price for these superstars now is just crazy, which is what it should be, I guess. But I think do these players understand that like. Like that's unless do they think that Randall could be the base of a trade and then somehow they keep some of those young guys, but then okay now you're just replacing Randall as the leader of a young team still. And again, maybe for Carly Down that'd be an upgrade from doing it in Minnesota, but I guess those are the questions I have. You have Mitchell Robinson. Um, you still have I guess mean, for now. You know, I probably won't have him past this season. I would imagine, but I mean you still have Frank, right? He's expiring. But it's spying um, right now. It, so that's not going to unless you're doing a deadline. Yeah, but you still have Frank. You still have Robinson. Obviously, you mentioned Barrett, quickly, Toppin. And then they have they already have a treasure trove of picks. And a lot of times, you know, these while these deals have been very uh, expensive recently, like the, these trade deals for stars, they a lot of them have been picks based uh, packages. And I don't think the Knicks are going to be worried about that. Where they seem like they're at in their in their uh, but the, rebuild. See, that's that's what scares me though, Kendall. Because unlike the Nets, who were one star away from building a juggernaut when they gave it all up in terms of the pick, the Knicks are just not there. So, so yeah, yeah. That's the that's but, the, that's the, what the scares me. Is that, if you're willing to really just go out there and say we'll give you three or four first round picks, which to me is what the price is for like one of these guys, like. Man, you're setting yourself up in a tough spot because you don't have a roster or 
you know, as great as Randall's been, you don't have a Kevin Durant on your team. This is a different, it's a different so the energy thing going is, on over I, there. I think what they'd be trying to do is, let's say it's for a time, and you give up three or four first, it'd be probably four first round picks, which they, I mean, they have, they can give up four first round picks without getting the, the asset base, but um, yeah. let's say it's four first round pick, and probably some pick swaps, but, uh, and then, you know, two of the, the their four major assets, you know, on court assets, but if it's Towns, you're probably giving up Mitch, and then and you're probably keeping Toppin, and then one of Barrett or Quickly. Probably Barrett, but I mean, they can make that determination how they want. Um, I would imagine it's Barrett, because he's, he's, a, he's a more proven kind of guy at this point, but like, I mean, that's a, that's a nice package, um, and if you really, really want Towns, like if you're in a bidding war, like you can give up a third guy, you know. And then I think you're 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 out, you're betting most teams. And I think where the Knicks are at is that I mean, look, you have Randall, you have Towns, and then you really are one more star piece away from being. I mean, I think in their minds would be a contender, you know, because as well as they've played with as little talent as they have now, it's kind of the Boston model, like the Celtics with Brad Stevens, and it hasn't really come to fruition because they've lost in the conference finals every year, it feels like. But the Celtics with Brad Stevens, like, had so much early success with so little talent that the mm-hmm. idea was that, I mean, yeah, I mean, we go went to the conference finals with Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder as their best player, and Avery Bradley. Like, all we need is one more guy, and we're going to be in the championship. Mm-hmm. So, like, the way the Knicks are playing now, like, they're a six seed in the East or whatever. Now, if you get them Arlington town, you don't have to Randall and Barrett. You don't have to trade Randall even. Um, or even if you do have to trade Randall, but you're swapping Randall for Arlington Towns, which feels like, you know, I mean, Randall's probably had a better year, but overall, like Towns is a more talented player. You feel like, all right, now where are we? Now are we a top four team in the East, top three team in the East. And then, at that point, now you're—they feel like free agency is where they really would have to strike. And to me, that's, to me, like that's that's that, and I and I agree with that. Like to me, like that's how I would look at this is because you perfect. get Towns and you can then you feel like oh we're gonna get Booker in free agency mm-hmm. eventually. And but that, that free agency is so long. Now. Right, but I mean Booker is like what three more years left on his deal. Man, with these early termination joints, you know, stuff feels bad, but you know. And then you know, we talk about once a guy gets to the last year of his deal, I mean, it's like pre agency. You know, yeah, like, the one thing I will say, <laughs> the one thing I will say, and you're right about that, is it just feels like the article kind of, you know, it made me feel like this is the kind of front office that you know don't be acting like this is going to be some long, long rebuild that they're looking at. Like this to me seems like a front office that is willing to do bold things, even if it seems a little outside the box or whatever, like. And as many wins as they've got right now suggests that I think it gives them even more ammunition to be like, all right, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Exactly. Like we're good now with like guys that we probably weren't even that high on. You know, yeah. That's what we get our guy. It just feels like it also felt like Aller is just like kinda like that angel on the shoulder of all these guys. Like (laughs) they seem like he seemed to be like and to be fair, like he would have been wrong if they didn't get quickly. But, I mean, obviously, we know quickly was a risk given the circumstances. Like, it just seems like he's the guy that's like, no, we're not going to trade RJ or, or Mitch. No, we're not going to trade Derrick Rose right now. 
no, we're not going to draft Nick Richards. Eh, quickly, I don't know, man. His freshman year, he wasn't that good. Like, it, it seems like, I, like from what I got from the article, was that it seemed like it was is good that he's kind of there because he's not so much in the circle of like CAA and Kentucky and stuff. Right. So I, I I think like you know, and like and, they talk, you able to talk West off the ledge and Rose off the ledge on like. Drafting quickly at twenty three, I, mean, I would have been a right. PR nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> if you had a twenty three draft, I mean, it was already a PR nightmare drafting right. him at twenty six. Right. But like, if they were drafting at twenty three, <laughs> like, who's got this guy at twenty three? I was probably telling him like, "Yo, just trade back. We'll get the asset, and you can still get quickly. I don't care." What you yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think. I think. You know? I think. It seemed like Aller probably would have been happy if they traded even further back, but he got them to at least trade right. back a little bit. Because it didn't make it yeah. didn't make sense, like you know, to draft him there, like to, because they could get more value, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, man, they didn't. Was, but no, no, they, they, they ended up losing like, that pick for more assets. But there you go. Um. But yeah, man. It just seems like, and again, like you know, it's a, it was a fascinating article. In some ways, it was kind of, it, it was kind of, in some ways, like a, a, a kind of like a, a stroke back to reality because. Things have gone so well. It's kind of interesting to see, like, okay, what were like some of the tough decisions and how were they made? <laughs> and you realize, oh man, this is like really like a a seesaw thing where it can go here or there with some of these things. And so far, it seems like Rose has, you know, made the right calls when he's had to. You know, when it made more sense to go with Derrick Rose, he made the move. If they would have traded for Derrick Rose this summer, I think all Knicks fans would have been pretty livid. They were living when they traded him in during the season, but at least it, it looked it made a little bit more sense during the season, and it's so far it's helped. You know, he didn't listen about Nick Richards, but he saw the value in quickly, so that was good. Um, you know, he hasn't he hasn't you know he's listened to uh, to um, to Thibodeau say, "Hey, trade Rich and RJ," but he hasn't done it. So uh, I go back to the question: you No, know, it's just how what good organizations are run, and I'm still not sure, like. Like it seems like Leon. One thing he, one thing that Yaron said that Leon, Leon's not the greatest communicator, and that was the one thing that was a little concerning. Cause I do wonder, like, is it, does it, could there possibly become a friction? Like, what seems to make this group work is that they all like each other a lot. You know, Wes and Tib know each other for a long time. Tib know Leon for a long time. Leon clearly thinks very highly of Brock Aller, even though he he's not someone who's been tied to him for any long period of time. Um, that's right. <laughs> it feels like that is what's really keeping the group together more so than like a one mind thinking. It seems like they all have very different thoughts on like what the Knicks should be doing from time to time. And even in that article, when you mentioned that the they would know Scott Perry, like they didn't even mentioned Walt Parent, you know, but they didn't mention Scott Perry. Yeah, you know, yeah, like very interesting. It, yeah, it's just the hierarchy over there. I, I think you got to throw off the titles in some degree. Like, I think the hierarchy to me is clearly Rose will make a final call and he'll ask Wes and Aller for their for their viewpoint and that he'll be the one. And really, those are the voices he'll listen to both for making the call. That's how it was right. presented. Like, I'm not saying that that's – I mean, Yaron would say it's true. I, I don't know for sure. I'm not in the room. But that's how it looked. That's how it looks to me. Um, and it's funny because I, I listened to the whole Knicks Film School podcast and, and – and, Mark Berman was on there as well. He said, look, man, like Scott Perry hasn't been at a home game in like three weeks. He did go to the G League. He was at the quarantine in the G League, and he's been there for a while. But, I mean, 
should the general manager of the NBA team really be in the G League when your team is playing as well as they have? It seems like yeah. an odd assignment. It seems like an odd assignment at this point in the season. Yeah, I don't think Mike Zarin with the Celtics is, is was was watching the main. <laughs> he was there for like a month. It wasn't like he was there. Yeah, exactly. Again, there there is some quarantining going on, so that's part of it. But he was there like six, seven games. That's like a month. Six, seven home games. Yeah. So he was just not at the garden. And Berman had noted that like that Perry used to go to every Nick home game. Like he, he only yeah. did maybe one or two. And and it's funny because when you see and that's plenty of time when the camera is panned off. You see the guys that are sitting on on the on the on the floor. I always see Wes, and I always see Allen Houston, who I would have thought Allen Houston would be someone who would be more in, more involved with the G League. I, I don't always, and I've seen Leon, I, I, but not all the time. But a lot of time I see them. I never, I, I I I rarely have seen Scott Perry down there. So all the stuff, interesting I don't know. stuff. That's my interpretation. What do you say? Uh, my interpretation is I don't expect him to be there long term. No, I think this is his last year with the Knicks. And yeah, I think that makes. I sense. hope he and I, I hope he gets. I hope he gets another job. Yeah, I, like this has been a great year for his resume. One hundred percent. Yeah. Some of the stuff he, that they've he, done, the, the Porzingis trade, and yeah. the, the I mean, some of these draft picks are not all him, but I mean, the Mitch pick, like he has, he has some good stuff on his resume. Um, and they've won games, and he's been a part of it. So, yeah. uh, shout out to him. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, not really, I was just, one thing I wanted to mention mm-hmm. that we didn't mention the last time we talked about the NBA, but I just thought it was funny because we were talking about the draft, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> you mentioned Tyrese Halliburton, but, like, no one really talks about it, but, like, man, the Phoenix Suns messed up not drafting Tyrese Halliburton. As good as they've been this season. And we well, said it at the time. Calls? We called for it. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We said it at the time. I mean, yeah. he was the obvious. <laughs> I mean, there is no more ideal fit for the Suns, and no more ideal fit for Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, and then when they got Chris Paul, it just seemed even more ideal. I was like, yeah. "This is great." Now he doesn't need because I always was worried about Halliburton needing the ball in his hands all the time, and being like the you know the chief you know offensive operator, and. With Chris Paul and Devin Booker, he wouldn't have to. He would do what he'd be doing in, in, in Sacramento, <laughs> and he would have been even terrific. So, and then you would have had a bridge guy after Chris Paul, and all the Chris Paul backups uh, always. Uh, that rubs off when he's they, they, the, they always get they always get the HP boofs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what, and, what I'm uh, saying? You know, Dennis Schroeder well, you know, with it without Chris Paul. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. To me, I think that that's just as great a great of a job as James Jones and Monty Williams have done. I mean, Jalen Smith is giving them nothing, shot the sticks, but he hasn't given them much. Uh, and Tyrese Halliburton, I mean, I mean that. Let's be honest, it could be the difference between them like being a final team or not. Like, yeah, I'm I, get, I know, no, I agree. I, I, I really, I really agree with that. Like, if they had Tyrese Halliburton instead of Jalen Smith, <laughs> I would. I take them way more seriously as a championship contender, and I already think really highly of them. I think I think more highly of them than I think you do, because I think they yes. are really good. But the one thing it feels like they're missing is it does feel like they're missing that like dynamic guard off the bench. Like I mean, campaign has been the guy, and he's done okay, but it's but he's campaign, you know, like so. Yeah, yeah. Playoff series, I just yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's going up against a Jamal Murray or some of these guys, you know, Damian Lillard in the playoffs. 
and he's going to get real minutes. We'll see how that goes. But, like, I don't – spoiler alert, I don't know if it's going to go great. Like, and, again, I don't want to diss him because he's had a really good year. He's really turned his career around. But, obviously, if they had Halliburton, they'd be in a little bit of a better shape. I mean, I agree. I mean, to me, the two teams – and I liked Halliburton. You didn't really like him that much. But the two teams we thought Halliburton made the most sense to both botched com- botched completely not taking Yes, him. Atlanta. The Hawks and the Suns. <laughs> and Phoenix. And what I'm also, and what I also feel too, Ken, though, is I feel like you know, as and I don't want to just take one year, and just kind of just go crazy, but with the way the league is playing now, like if I'm taking a big, I gotta know for sure that he's gonna work or that I had the minutes for him even, because so many teams Yo, are right? playing so I mean, small that like yeah, some of these pictures feel like a waste. It's like it's not that the guy can't play, but in the way the game's even played and how these teams are playing. You just can't play a Jalen Smith or a Yeko Kongu or sometimes even Toppin, like, based on how other teams are playing or based on how your roster is. Yeah. You only I mean, got about why, three or four bigs that can get any time and not kill your team. So when you have, you're putting it, up your roster, if you don't have obvious minutes for them, you shouldn't be taking them. We, we said this during our draft grades and even pre-draft, like, you know, look, shout out to the draft coverage this year. I thought it was solid. But you know, and they're just—they're not allowed to knock every. They're not allowed to knock picks like they. So there was a lot of there was a lot of love for the Onyeko Okongwu pick. He's a great kid, and I and I liked him pretty much as a player. But the thing in Atlanta that you're drafting a backup center. Like, do you understand right. that you're drafting a backup? And center like, and like, and to shoot myself, Bale, because I gave them a lot. I liked the pick. I would have picked Halliburton, but I thought that Onyeko was a really good pick for them because they were so bad defensively. But Again, the le- like the priorities for what you need in the league are so different now. Like, if you have if you have uh, Capella and you're not trading him, you're assuming he's playing thirty five minutes a night or thirty minutes a night. It, like, it just no, it just only, there's no use having drafting a guy at number six who you're only gonna no. play ten minutes a night. It just it just no, there there are no there isn't this time there's a different time where maybe a guy on Yakum Kong will come off the bench he's playing 25 20 minutes a night that day is over yeah. you have a child, you have one big who's probably logging those kind of minutes whoever's coming off the bench is logging spot duty minutes yeah but before, with a guard a the... right but with a guard or wasn't getting those minutes at the five like so now John is getting minutes at the five as well right. as his minutes at the four. And so where is Onyeka playing? Again, he's playing 15 minutes a night. And this year he hasn't even done because he's exiled with injuries. But, like, yeah, I mean, and again, it doesn't mean that's, that long-term like, that's a terrible pick. But, like, for what they needed to be this year, which we all knew that this was kind of a make-or-break year for that group. Yeah. And now Louis Pierce out of a job. And we'll exactly. see what happens Blink if they don't turn around in the second half. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I look, I questioned the pick then. It looks worse now. Um, and <laughs> look, they deserve the heat, but again, you know, Phoenix is where I look the Halliburton thing. They're great because they, they did a, They did a great job this off season with a lot of their moves, but missing out on Halliburton is unfortunate. Like I think those, the, like those teams got screwed over more than Detroit. And the Knicks did. The Knicks ended up with what you call They ended up with quickly. You know, I'm not worried about not getting Halliburton. The Pistons and right. the Hayes thing hasn't worked out great. Um, it didn't look like it was gonna work out great when he was healthy. Right. But even then, still ended up with Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart, who've been right. really good. 
Yeah. You know, and you'll see what happens with the cage. But if not, then I guess you will have Jalen Suggs at point guard. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so, so, you know, that I mean, those teams are fine. And I don't think that Halliburton would have been as dynamic on those teams. You know, it would have been a much different role than he's playing in Sacramento. So, uh, it's an interesting. It was just an interesting case. And I know we talk about the drafts a lot, but <laughs> something, something that that I had to get off my chest. No, it's good. I mean, we have talked a lot of, uh, a lot about the draft um, in recent weeks or months, so I'm sure people who look for that stuff. This I think is good conversation. But yeah, I just feel like this year was really transformative in terms of like just my viewing of drafting bigs. And you've been there for a while. I think I've been behind you. Oh yeah, remember but the whole you, Luca thing? With, you know, I mean, people talk about DeAndre Aiden. Like, we're really drafting the center, yeah. <laughs> two bigs. Yeah, over, like, yeah, you, yeah. Um, your big, your big thing guard? was just yeah. I agree with you on Bagley, but when it came to Aiden, I understood it. But you, you were, you were right. You said it, to draft a center over a guy with this kind of skill level as a wing slash guard is just is crazy, and it is right now. It totally is, and maybe again in 1975, it would have been crazy to do the other way to to, to draft a guy who's a great dynamic wing or especially a, like a dynamic guard over, you know, a, a Lou Alcindor or someone like that. Like that would have been crazy. It's a different yeah. game now. It's a different game. So, to me, like, centers are like running backs in the NBA draft. Like, unless that guy is special or unless I have a massive hole, like, I got to really think about whether or not drafting him. That's why I think, I think Evan Mobley is going to be a very interesting case in this draft. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he was, was five. You know, and he might be, like, the second best player in the draft, but he may end up going five just because, you know, we're going to see teams. There's going to be a run on guard, be especially after what ball but yeah. Ball is done uh, playing with two other guards. Like, I think you're going to see teams be like, I don't care. You know, even if yeah. we have guards, like, I don't I'm still going with Cunningham or I'm still going with Sug. I'm still going with Green. Um, and the real thing is going to be whether or not Kuminga will be able to go over um, over a guy Mobley. But it's going to be tough for him. Why is he, he needed Wiseman to dominate. Wiseman's been okay. Yeah, also, did been, you hear the, pretty good, but... the draft? Jalen Rose. We, had, we didn't even talk about this off air, but you hear the, what Jalen Rose saying about LaMelo Ball? Uh, so, no. Jalen Rose, you know Jalen Rose sometimes, he throws out these these anecdotes, these little nuggets that people had no idea mm-hmm. was, was going on or things that people don't know will happen at some point. So, Jalen Rose said, I don't know why, they, they were talking about LaMelo Ball, and he was like, by the way, LaMelo Ball, um, you know, the Warriors told him on draft night, we're taking you at number two. And then they didn't. He was like, that story's coming out at some point. Stay tuned. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, look, he says that, and there was a video on draft night with the mobile balls, like doing like a live stream. And he puts up to number two saying, like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> as if I'm going to go in the state. I don't know what happened. I mean, was it the Thompson injury? Did after Clay Thompson getting hurt, Golden mm-hmm. State say, Actually, we shouldn't like their whole idea was you know Lamelo with Steph and Clay would be would be incredible, which you know some people made that case. I I at the time may have been like eh, I don't know, and I would have been wrong. But um, did they say be, because of the injury we got to go? That been I mean, I guess to, I guess to me, I, I don't know. Turn. To me, it feels to me it feels like you would you would be more inclined to make that call if if. That- Right. Yeah, if Clay was healthy, you'd be like, you know what, the the backcourt depth, we're good, right? We're gonna, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me that he him getting hurt would make you say, let's go with a big man. 
Um, I don't know. I, I think that I think that teens make uh, promises a lot and they lie or they they say things to maybe get people to jump. Like perhaps they would have thought that hey, we could get if we can get the word out there that we're ready to take Lamelo Ball. Maybe somebody that really loves him will jump to like let's say the Knicks will give us both their first round picks and maybe more to get to that spot to get him. Or maybe somebody, yeah. maybe Charlotte will hear that and then they yeah, really yeah, want ball yeah, and they, they really feel like he's a guy to yeah. say, look, we will do anything to get up to that one spot. So I, I think there's that, a lot that, more strategy cool. goes into this than people think. So when we hear that, I don't know that, if that necessarily means that their plan was to draft ball. I mean, I don't know how many times you hear people say that their promises were broken in the draft. I think that... It's just tough. That totally doesn't happen that high. That's the only... That high is, is like, the part you, of it that's a little weird, yeah. Because you know the you know, options, the options uh, you know the options are going to be Wiseman or Ball. Because when it comes yeah. to other promises, sometimes like, oh we know this guy was going to fall, so you know he promises other guy, we're going to go with this guy. Like here, it was like you knew it was going to be one or the other. So what? Why would you tell him that and then not pick him again? There's only two things: either something changed, which the one thing that made change was there was an injury. Though again, the injury part I don't get, and then there was. Uh, Again, there's some strategy behind that, perhaps. I would go with the latter rather than the former, but who knows? That Mitch Trubisky draft where <laughs> the Bears traded up from three to two to get Mitch Trubisky and pick over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Holmes was going to – that's going to be like the stuff of legends. That's going to be a 30 for 30. <laughs> the Bears moved up one – they moved up a spot. <laughs> The the draft the draft the guy the the team wasn't going to draft like were the forty nineers really going to draft Mitch Trubisky? No I way. see that's one of those situations where you have to call their bluff. Yeah, yeah. So you're not. But and also I mean I, I believe, there, was a, into... there was a good story about the um there was a good story about the there was like a documentary about the when the when Eli was drafted by the Giants and they had to call uh, the, the Chargers bluff. Um, and say that because uh, I guess the, the, like initially like the 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 Giants were gonna let the Chargers just draft what you call it Eli, and I, I guess that's like they wanted Eli, but like the Chargers wanted Philly. Like, it was a weird. You gotta watch the documentary. Like Ben Roethlisberger thought he was going to the Giants, like and things just went out. They played out a certain way where the Giants got one, which was Eli, but they had to like they had to pretend like y'all now we're going with with. with it's an interesting, an interesting story, but speaking of interesting stories, draft related. Um, I don't know. I think I said this to you. There was an article, um, from ESPN. I forgot who wrote it on the legendary workout, uh, Kobe Bryant with the Lakers pre-draft. Yeah, I only saw. I, I read. I read maybe the first couple of paragraphs. Yeah, it, it's a great article. It is long, but it is a great article. I suggest anybody who uh, can, you know, check it out. But one, the only reason I bring that up was because, you know, when it came to the draft, like, you know, Jerry West was sold that Kobe was their guy. But the question was, how the hell were they going to get Kobe? And they had to convince, um, they, they had to convince Kobe basically to, to get him, uh, get him to 13 or get him to a spot to that where they could draft him. I mean, for according to this article, Jerry West had called every team after number one. <laughs> About what it would take to trade up to draft Kobe, apparently, and they eventually settled on thirteen with Charlotte saying, "Yeah, we'll take Lyle Vivac," even though there was some 
uh, I didn't even remember this or know this, but there was some questions because Vlade apparently didn't want to go to Charlotte and they thought he might retire. So there was actually some issues with that. But the there's a whole story, obviously, that everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people should know about how the Nets really wanted Kobe Bryant and that they also had a killer workout with him. Um, uh, who's the guy with ESPN? I can't think of the cap guy uh, who used to work for. Oh, uh, uh, Bobby Marks. Marks, who apparently was there during his time. Yeah. He he talked about how he thought that he blew it because he sent Kobe back first class, back like with, uh, in coach, I suppose, like flying him first class to wherever his next destination was. Because apparently that's a thing you got to do to make sure the guy gets, whoever, whatever guy you're taking, you tra- take him, you know, someplace either good or you keep him there and you let him know that this is what you really want. They sent him out and coach. And apparently Kobe's agent at the time was furious. But the, the promise, or at least the demand, that Kobe made apparently to the Nets was that he wasn't going to put on the hat when he got drafted. Because John Calipari was just like, he was the head coach of the Nets at the time. He was just floored at Kobe. He's like, I got to get this guy. He's next Jordan. But yeah, after Kobe dealt with the Lakers and he saw how interested they were, and obviously the Lakers, it was his favorite team growing up as a kid, they, they basically had to divide a strategy to get him to L.A., and they knew the one team that really was a major threat was New Jersey at the time. Obviously, Brooklyn, they were New Jersey back then. And, uh, you know, we've heard, like, we've heard all different kinds of stories about what they did or what they did, but apparently the, the you know, the whole part about him going to Italy was true. But the, the, the thing about, okay, well, why wouldn't you just call it bluff? The issue was him going up there, not shaking, shaking David Stern's hand, not putting on the hat, uh, and the draft is held at, uh, I guess, what is it now? Izod Center? Back then it was, you know, whatever they called it back then. Continental Airlines Arena. Yeah. It was in East Rutherford, New Jersey. It's in, it's in their home arena. So I thought that the, no, guy, that they, the guy that they were going to draft wasn't going to put on their hat, wasn't going to do any kind of media or press acknowledging that he was going to be a net, was too much for the Nets to take a risk for, and hence they they did it. But... Bobby Marks admits that they got bluffed. He's like, they, we should. He's, we know Kobe would have did it, and if they, like Kobe had said that, of course I would have went to the Nets in the, in the past. You no, know, before he passed, he said he said yeah. that in subsequent interviews. But like, it's crazy. Like these games that get played during the draft. Like I really, I would love one day to be a fly on the wall of like a draft process, and not necessarily one team, just with a bunch of teams, just spending days with multiple teams, see what they're doing, and just see some of these things that go on. Because I, I don't think we know thirty percent. Of what goes on, like I think we know. Well, there's gonna be a documentary. On what really happened with that Doncic draft? I don't know what I don't know what the deal was. But yeah, it was a colossal. Somebody colossally failed, <laughs> and I hate to say yeah. we told you so, uh, but we told <laughs> you so. Look, I mean, there was some stuff with Bade and, and and his dad, some some, some beef. Uh, I don't know some East, some, some, some European stuff. But the Marvin Bagley um, pick was other, just. It just was. It, yeah. it just was so egregious at the time. It just there was yeah. nothing about it that made any sense. It was and Vlade's explanation was so he was so obnoxious about it. He was like, "Marvin's a better player." And I'm like, "All right." That's and you know, obviously, accent. Like, I'm like, "Come on, man!" Like, you're not even taking us seriously with this. You know, like you drafted a worse player. And you're not telling us why. At least say you know you like De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, it was. It was weird. And I mean, the Suns like the Suns was sad because like you knew like the entire front office didn't even like the owner did, and so yeah. like you had the coach Igor who played, you know he yeah. signed up there thinking they were in Luka, and now he's got to pretend like the guy Aiton was the guy he wanted, 
And now he said in subsequent interviews, ah, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just say I've always loved as a player. I'm like, yeah, man, this is that the whole thing was a mess. But if anybody yeah. really covered into that thing, the fact that, you know, McDonough and Vlad, you know, have jobs anymore, like, I don't think anybody really cares at this point. But that, it, those were colossal failures. Yeah, I, I would love to see, like, a, a deep dive into that draft because, man. And then the teams that tried to trade up, like, what did teams offer to try to even get Doncic at that point? Yeah. You know, what was really close besides Dallas? I don't know. I know a lot of teams probably tried to get up there. Yeah, man, there was a lot. It was worth it. Denver, imagine if Denver would have got him. The yeah. Knicks were trying to trade up. The Celtics were trying to trade up. The uh, Clippers with Doc Rivers at the time were trying to trade up. Like, there was a lot of teams. That Man. thought, y'all, chance. <laughs> the course of history could have been completely changed if certain things would have gone a certain way. Kobe could have been a net. Ben Roethlisberger could have been a <laughs> New York Giant. Giant. You know, maybe, maybe Doncic, you know, would have been a, a Phoenix Sun or a Sacramento King. Uh, it's just weird when you think about these alternate realities and how that would have changed all sports. Um, Duke, Kendall, they're done. Their tournament, their season's over. Their ACC tournament is over. Alternate yeah, it feels like an alternate reality to say that Duke, <laughs> who had the third longest NCAA consecutive streak of getting to the big dance, I think it was at like 20 years. Of all time. Of all time. They had by far the longest. Yeah. Yeah, I would think Gonzaga probably has that record now, or maybe Kansas. It's either one of them. Um, but yeah, now I was Kansas. But... Yeah, it's either Kansas or Gonzaga. It's got to be one of them. But yeah, they had the third longest of all time, and that is now over. Obviously, they the last time that they missed it was 1995. They uh, had a COVID case, and I think now they're, they're saying that they have a cluster now that they're they're dealing with. But um, but Duke season ends. It was one of the most uh, tumultuous seasons I think we've seen in Duke Blue Devil history. Um, terrible start. Coach K wanting to stop all college basketball. He basically said stop the count. Um, when it got to the when it, as the season uh, that they had, they struggled during the during the beginning of the season. They um, they came back, still struggled. Jalen Johnson bounces. The smear campaign against Jalen Johnson, which I'm not going to say Duke <laughs> participated in, but they at least allowed until maybe three, four days later, but finally Coach K and them said something to protect him. Um, they win a little bit more games. Then they end the season with some bad losses, including that embarrassing performance against Carolina. Then they win two games in the ACC tournament, and there's excitement about, well, maybe they'll somehow win this whole thing. And then, uh, you know, hours obviously before they're supposed to play against uh, Florida State season ends. Just what do you make of just this whole Duke season that we had? It just seems like the season from hell if you're a Duke fan. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was a tough year. Uh, a lot of it was, look, I mean, we we had, we talked about it, you know, early in the season. And look, this Duke team wasn't, you know, going to be like spectacular. Um, but, it really like the, the first of all, you got a certain amount of deja vu, you know, when you hear about a positive COVID case and it's like March 11th, and you're like, oh, we're going through this again. NCAA, you know, conference tournament yeah, games being canceled. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's like the same thing that happened last year around the same time. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's an unfortunate end to the season, uh, for this Duke team. Uh, 
do I think they could have won the ACC tournament? Yes. Uh, it would not have been easy. Florida State would have been a tough matchup. Um, and other than that, I think, you know, I think the rest of the teams in the ACC, I think they could have certainly beaten. Uh, but it's 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 tough. You know, they didn't really figure it out at the right time. Whatever mix, they never really found the right mix of guys, the right rotation of guys. Their big freshman, Mark Williams, really came on late. Um, it's been arguably the best player, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, the he's, the ulti- he's the ultimate who he played for. Like, I mean, yeah, every, time yeah. I, every time I've watched Duke down the stretch, I'm like, yo, this kid's got some athleticism. Like, I don't remember watching him earlier this season. He was riding season. the pine. Yeah. yeah, he was riding the pine, you know, and he wasn't, he obviously was, was you know, one not one of the more heralded guys in, in their recruiting class, was not a McDonald's All-American, but, um, but, you know, it's still, I mean, you're going to Duke, like, not he was, <laughs> he wasn't a walk-on. Yeah. yeah. But they, for whatever, they didn't give him, they, they didn't give him playing time. And now all of a sudden, like he's he's one of the best big men in the ACC, you know, <laughs> down the stretch. So, and, and that that's that's that was a tough one, especially considering they they focused so much or they, they relied so much on the success of and production of like Matthew Hurt. And yeah. whenever he got in foul trouble, like they, it was it, you know. But if you had another big man who could take pressure off Hurt both defensively, and offensively, and on the back, like. Um, that would have been a major, a major difference for them. So, I mean, look, they'll be fine. You know, Paolo Banchero, <laughs> by some people, some people consider him the best player in the country or the number two player in the country or the number three player in the country, uh, in high school basketball, uh, out of Seattle, Washington will be a Duke Blue Devil next year. Um, and I mean, look, he's going to average, you know, 18 and 10 next year. He's, he's going to be one of the best players in college basketball. And they could be in line to, to get Pat Baldwin Jr., who's also a top five player in the country. Uh, he said he's close to making his decision, and it's he's down pretty much. It seems you know he's down. He has a list of schools, but the 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 forecast seems to have him at either Duke or the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, which is where his dad Pat Baldwin Senior coaches. So uh, that's going to be a decision that I re- they really decides whether or not this Duke team next year is the different is like, are they, are they closer to a, to a normal Duke team or not? I think we'll find out. Um, but also at the same time, like they have a lot of returning guys, a young team. And how long has it been since the Duke has had like, you know, like four or five, like returning. Rotation yeah. Like guys. the core, the core of a team is kind of back pretty much yeah. in full. In full you know, strength. even if hurt, even if hurt goes to the league, like, I mean, you're replacing her Banchero, and that's probably an upgrade. So, yeah. like, <laughs> you're, you're fine with her leaving if he does. If he stays, it's great. But, um, you, you, but then you have like a sophomore Jeremy Roach, a sophomore DJ Stewart. We'll see what happens with Wendell Moore, whether or not he transfers or he goes to leave. Like nowadays, if you're like a five star, you got to stay. Your junior year, you got to talk about your. But, um, you know, so I mean, he might transfer. But if Wendell yeah. Moore comes back, like you saw Wendell Moore and Mark Williams emerge, so. And they'll hit the transfer portal, I'm sure. So yeah, do be fine. They'll be really good next year, I think. Yeah, I, I I agree with a lot of that assessment. I do think Duke will be back um, next year because it's funny. Uh, shout out to uh, uh, Paul Biancardi. He had posted a, a tweet of um, a highlight from Ben Charo, you know, breaking some guy's ankles, 
hitting a step back three. I'm just like, yeah, this is why Duke's going to be fine, y'all. <laughs> like, like anybody getting yeah. off their Duke joke, get them off now because next year is going to be a whole different ball game. Um, and Duke will return to being and also AJ power Gr- and national I mean, power. Right. AJ Griffin's going to be, I mean, yeah. he may be the number one big like we know right, exactly. About him, but he, yeah, he, so they're gonna have they're gonna have a squad next year, and you know you're gonna have to get your laughs off what why why we can, but um, I think this is I think to me this season kind of feels like Cal Perry's season with like like Nerlens Noel and those guys, like to me like this like Duke had a lot of issues. Well, not necessarily even that. Like to me, it was just like like well, what do you mean by that? When you say cloud, cloud well, I only say that because like the next year, like I mean that team. Well, next yeah, year, the next year they were they, they, they were undefeated. Yeah, right. and they yeah, were yeah, supposed right. to be contender, and then they went to the national championship. Yeah, yeah. so and like, then the year after that, the championship. Well, they went to the final four, I should say. Yeah, so to me, like I think that this is basically what we're seeing with Duke is when you build these teams with these one and done guys, and that's all really you focus on. You don't really. I don't think Duke has done the greatest job of sometimes developing some of their role player guys. Like you're gonna have a year where if you got a group that just isn't that, you know, Jay Bills kind of said it best. Like you know, Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett are supernovas. You know, Jason Tatum is a supernova. Uh, Jalil Okafor, um, Ty right, Jones, Jones. We, we learned maybe we didn't think at the time, but those are supernova type of guys. They come into your program. And they're one of the top players in their conference immediately. They're one of the top players in the country when it comes to Barrett and Wilson Williamson and Tatum. Like, those guys really change your program. You can even put Gary Trent in there. Like, they got a lot of good players. They got good players this year. But just guys that clearly are just more like normal freshmen. Normal, decent, good freshmen. Guys who, in three years, man, they may be like all conference type of guys. But they're not that good now, you know? So when you do that and when you build your – you don't have – you know, they had Matthew Hurt, who was a legitimate all-conference type of guy. But when he's your only guy that's that kind of player, and then you got a lot of young guys trying to throw together the chemistry and stuff. Like with, with Cal, what he learned was that – and we'll get to Cal's team in a second. Like, like you can make up some of the talent – not the talent, the chemistry malfunctions you may have with playing a bunch of freshmen – throwing Gassi every year with, like, immense talent. So most of these years, when Kentucky was on their run, like, they had just an insane amount of talent that it didn't – the chemistry mattered, and I think maybe and perhaps it hurt them when it came to some tournament runs. But when it came to an overall regular season playing 30, 35 games a year, like, most nights they were just going to out-talent anybody they played. And I think Duke had the luxury of that as well. They didn't have that luxury this year. So – this is kind of just the game that Kay's played, and he got burned a little bit this season. We'll see if next year things will change. I think that they will because he does have the supernovas. When you got Banchero and, and Griffin, and then you might add Baldwin, and then you got some young guys here that some you know, some of these guys are going to transfer. Like you know, it, like we know we know how this game is played. You know, some of these guys Kay only expected to be there one year, and they underachieved, and you know he has spots already set up for the guys that are coming in next year. So some of these guys. That on on your roster, you mentioned someone like a, a Wendell Moore. You know, Jalen Johnson just pieced out in the middle of the season. Like some of these yeah. guys just aren't going to be on the team. But you know, a guy like uh, uh, Mark Williams is certainly going to be back. Some of these guards are probably going to be. I don't back. know. So Billy Baker, Billy Baker might be another guy that like, yeah, he's yeah. been there three four years. Now. He may stick it out, or you know, he may be like, 
recruiting over me again. You know, another <laughs> another five star wing. You know, at yeah, one point, exactly. You know, it's my turn. So just like Al right. O'Connell did last year, or, exactly. Uh, in, in spring, so yeah. So 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 it, yeah. No, so that that that's if, that's gonna happen. But I do feel like I don't know. I guess I just I I do feel like with with K and I think with you know for a lot of college basketball fans because Duke fans are how they are. Um, I think in some ways this was a, a little bit. This was humbling a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Because K is an, is is as great a coach as we've ever had in college basketball, but. Sometimes I think that there's this feeling amongst fans who are not Duke fans when they see Duke fans talk about this program that like it's like K that like drives everything and it's his coaching and it's them making the he's making the program not necessarily the other way around. And what we learned this year is nah, he still he needs them dogs. Like like long do we forget when he wasn't getting those type of guys and Greg Paul was getting ripped at half court. <laughs> they were losing the VCU in the first round of the tournament. He didn't have them dogs then, and look how he looked. We were wondering if K's time was coming to an end. Just like any yeah. great college basketball coach, there are some guys that can do with less. You have Tony Bennett, um, uh, Fran McCaffrey. John you know, Beeline. Beeline, who's obviously not in college basketball, but has been in the past, obviously, and done it with less. And it's, it's the, those are great coaches, and those coaches can't recruit like Coach K. So it, you know, it, it's not a diss, but I think this was humbling because people were like, "Oh, well, Duke don't got the talent." It's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, you think just like Virginia, some years has oh, not Virginia, but they've been good. But like, just like some years, NC State just don't got the talent, and you guys <laughs> clown them. It's like, yeah, they don't got the talent. They ain't Duke. But like, this was a year where you know you would think that okay, maybe Coach K's coaching could. Uh, you know, fill some of these gaps, and there was no way, no chance, especially with the pandemic, and that's in, that ended up being their season this year. I think we both probably feel a little more down on Kentucky's position. Kentucky, they, they did not have COVID as a reason that they would bounce out of their tournament. They lost on a buzzer beater to Mississippi State, and that was the end of their run out in the first round of the SEC tournament. Cal... Before before the game, <laughs> talking about how BJ Boston, these guys got to think about coming back. <laughs> um, yeah, he's talking about Emmanuel quickly. Yeah, he's looking at <laughs> what Emmanuel quickly did, y'all. I'm just saying. Yeah. So these guys might want to think. Washington. Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, nah. Isn't Cal, Mister? Like, you gotta go if you if you can go, you gotta. Oh yeah, go. I mean, Cal sent Daniel Orton to the NBA. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Cal has sent. He sent Archie Goodwin and Daniel Orton to them Lions, knowing yeah. them guys weren't ready. So, yeah. And because I, he always had guys on the periphery. Exactly. <laughs> he had guys lined up. He couldn't yeah, afford He couldn't he, afford those guys to come back. Exactly. He didn't have the scholarship. <laughs> yeah. How am I going to Yeah. Now. I, I, I allotted these guys. I, I slotted these guys as being one-done guys, so therefore they're going to be one-done guys. But now yeah. he's singing a different tune, and I think, I think for the first time we talked about it a little bit on on uncommitted, and now I think I'm there. I think that if you're a Kentucky fan, I do think you have to be a little bit concerned about not necessarily whether or not you're gonna you know be back and be a good team in the SEC like Cal yeah, be is a Hall of Fame coach. The idea that you're gonna be a national power where every year you're competing for a national championship like he was for a good stretch, 
those days are over. It's not that's not gonna happen there anymore. It's a different time. That's what it feels. Uh, it's a different era, and some some people have their run. Cal had a great run at Kentucky, but I've seen I've seen enough. Like how many more years? How many years in a row we have to see them be nowhere close to a championship contender for me to say eh, it, ain't, it ain't like that anymore? Like you like it's funny. Like I was watch like sometimes I, like you know I'm we're both basketball nuts and. No, you know, basketball reference and sports reference.com, favorite my some of my favorite websites that you probably do as well. And sometimes I love going through like coaching, like just coaching records and just seeing how their career fluxed. And like one, like, and, and it's funny because it, at the time you don't know it's over until like you look back. But like, like the other day I was looking at John Thompson, you know, Big John, Hall of Famer, RIP, God rest his soul. And like yeah. seeing just like the run he had. And at a certain point, that run was over. Then AI yeah. came, came out of nowhere, and that kind of gave him a little more revived run. But that, like, that really was kind of like an aberration. Like at a certain right. point, like you have your time, and then your time is up. Like it, there, are, there are almost no Coach K's. Like there's Coach K and Bobby Knight, and maybe even throwing Tom Izzo. And like, that's kind of it. Not, and obviously John it, Wooden. John Wooden's like a whole other stratosphere. But like those are the only guys that have that. Where they have a run for 40 years. Syracuse is not what Syracuse was a decade ago. Right. (laughs) You have your run. I mean, you know, uh, I know he had some issues regarding, like, you know, know, off-the-court stuff. But, I mean, Jim Calhoun, at at one point, he realized his time was up. Like, And I was, when you said off-the-court, the the other you're going to mention Bill Self. I mean, let's be real. Where's where's Kansas? Sometimes sometimes you just... You, you're the hot program. Everything's going great, and then your time. It, it feels like to me. I'm not putting K in here because you know I think K has a level to recruit that I just don't think is matched by anybody in America. But it just feels like we're seeing the dawn of a new era when it comes to who the legends are of college basketball. Culture. And like, it feels like it feels like this is yeah. Bennett, Mark Few, Jay Wright's. Jay Wright. Yeah. It feels like this is their time. And like, and what's gonna happen is we're gonna look ten years from now and be like, those three guys' names, man, they had a great run. Like that was their run. It feels yeah. like they run this game right now. It don't feel like and, Cal and K run it the way they used to. It definitely don't feel like Cal runs it like he used to. He talks like a guy. Like when I see these press conferences, he talks like a guy that like that like knows he used to run stuff, and like he's trying to explain to his guys who aren't there like what it takes to be great again. Like. Sometimes you can hear in, a, in like a way a guy talks that like where their positioning is. He doesn't talk with the level of arrogance, and he, he it was arrogance that was earned because he was killing everybody in the recruiting tarot, and they were winning thirty games a year. But the level of arrogance he talks about when he talks about like what it takes to be a great team and, and what his teams are going to do is just not the same. He talks like a guy that knows it the, it, it's never going to hit the way he did before. He had his run. That's how I see it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what the way I look at it, if you're a recruit nowadays, and you and you ask yourself, because like, you wonder, like, why, why, why have Kentucky and I won't even say Duke recruiting slipped? Because I mean, again, they've got two top ten guys coming in next year, maybe three. They're fine, but like, in, just in general, like, it, even like Duke, like they had their issues, like they lost Boogie Ellis to Memphis, and Kentucky lost DJ Jeffries and Wiseman to Memphis, and why? And Duke, obviously, in Kentucky's recruiting classes this season weren't spectacular. I mean, I think Kentucky thought theirs would be better than it was in terms of Boston and Clark. 
Um, you know, and I was never super high on Boston. Clark was a little bit of a disappointment, but, he, you know, he had injuries and the jump shot never really translated. Uh, or was just never there. But to me, if you ask yourself who are – and I say this in college football and college basketball, and when it comes to recruiting and the landscape of the sport, who are the cool teams in college basketball? Right now? Uh, two years ago, it was Duke. Three, four years ago, it was Kentucky. Like, those were the teams. Like, when Duke had Zion, of course they were going to get Matthew Hurt. Like, right. like Matthew Hurt was uncommitted. He didn't know where he was going to go. And he was thinking about Kentucky. He was thinking about Kansas. He was thinking about Memphis. And when Duke had Zion, he was like, oh, well, yeah, of course I'm going to go here. Like, right now, the cool team is Gonzaga. It is. The other cool team is Michigan. Ooh, it feels good to be king. You know, it, I mean, it sounds <laughs> it, it, it sounds, it sounds crazy. crazy and weird, but... It's the facts right now. College basketball. And they're the reason why Hunter Salas, you know, a kid from Omaha, Nebraska, five-star from Omaha, Nebraska, and Jed Holmgren, a five-star from Minneapolis, Minnesota, are are top five, top ten players in the country. Jed Holmgren, the consensus number one, are leaning towards going to Gonzaga in Spokane, Washington. But do you know who I think think also dictates some of this? And we'll try to keep this as above board as yeah, we can. I, I think we're going with but this one. Nike also is deciding who who is who is king and who is not. I think with Duke, Duke's another stratosphere. Like they kind of just their own entity. They have no control. Yeah, you actually basketball this and that. Yeah, right. But I think sometimes they look at the landscape of things and they say, "All right, this is a school. We're going to give them all the resources, all the money, all the attention." Look at Memphis when they got Penny. Right. They were gonna make sure Penny was 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 straight. Was was straight, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes you just see you see you know there are certain schools and all the schools just named you throw in Oregon. Um, who were some of the good Nike schools? Uh, Nova. Nova, yeah. All those teams are on the top tier. They're all gonna get great players. But Texas. there there are just times Texas is in there, but there are just times where it feels like a Nike or any of these who companies. They seem to kind of just really lean into like certain programs, and then you start to see a Rant. lot of guys go to that program. It feels right now like the momentum is swinging to Gonzaga in a way that I've never seen before. The way Nike promotes them, the way they're, they they got all the uniforms, all the uniform, like like these little things matter. Like people just don't think these; they don't even think about this stuff. But I mean, Gonzaga Nike, has like Nike. Gonzaga has like five uniforms. Like they, they, five, they got exclusive kicks, exclusive kicks. Vaga Giannis joints. I'm like <laughs> exclusive. And these again, these things matter. They might not matter to you or me or to the, anybody who's watching at home, look, but to and look, I played high school basketball. I paid attention to that kind of stuff. Now Gonzaga never wanted me. No, they want. I'm just saying, like what kids are thinking about and all things like yeah. that. Those things are important. When when, so, when I, I was watching. That Memphis, that's very sad Memphis versus Houston game on on Saturday. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, that was rough. That they <laughs> very game sad winner. game. But I see like like the Memphis like Boogie Ellis, Memphis's point guard, wearing a t shirt, and the, on the side of his t shirt, he's got the penny one cent logo, and I'm like, oh, that's fresh. Like it's, you know, exactly. they're not giving that to every team. Like certain no. teams, they're just giving a certain amount the of basic, exclusivity. The basic Nike stuff that anybody else could get at a local Foot Locker. <laughs> <laughs> right, like Syracuse. Syracuse right now is getting the the Nike basic. Yeah, 
you know, and and that's that's fine. Like Syracuse can get great players. They they're getting a great one next year. And Benny and uh and uh and uh, Benny what Benny Williams I think his name is yeah Benny like, Williams yeah like like again we're not saying that all oh, these places are trash and they're not like Nuggets care about them. It just like there are times where for whatever reason I don't I don't know what the reason is. I would be fascinated to know why, but there are times where it just feels like the 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 pendulum swings in regards to just who seems to be the darling of Nike. And there was a time where Kentucky was just all and everything. It was very clear and obvious that time is not there right now. And it's, if you ask yeah. who that time is right now, it's clear as Gonzaga. Yeah. And the then most Michigan, sneakers, the most, yeah. And Michigan's getting a lot of love too. They've got a top three recruiting class in the country. They already want to invest teams yeah. in the country now. Like, you know, guys are gonna want to go there. <laughs> you know, again, they, they again they don't have the talent right now that you would think like for a team that is competing for an national like championship. One loss. Yeah, exactly. Like they don't have five. They don't have a bunch of five stars. Uh, you know, on that roster. Oh, but they will soon. <laughs> but they will. Yeah, they got they will five soon. stars competed. Like that. The, like the, the times are changing, man. And. You know, I don't know. I mean, did you it, see? It, it, also- look, I, like I said, K made his comeback. I'm not saying it's impossible. Never Cal- Perry. We we were trying to bury John Calipari before. You know, yeah. there were times where you know, again, you mentioned the Nerlens Noel year. People were like, "Oh, uh, what's going on, man?" I mean, <laughs> and then Randall, and you know, those Randall and the Harris twins show up, and James Young, and then you still were kind of struggling. People are like, "Oh, what's going on with Kentucky?" Yeah. And they go to the national championship, and they get those guys to come back besides Randall and Young, and then they, they bring add, they add the supernovas, and then they yeah exactly, and then you saw you see what happened. Just Towns right. or Booker, yeah, I mean you know and yeah, Trey Lyles thirty eight yeah. and one. That's that's what happens. You got and sometimes it takes one class. I mean Duke was having years like that where. You know the, the 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 Tatum year with Harry Giles that was supposed to be a championship year. Harry Giles had injuries. Tatum had injuries, and it was it ended up being mediocre. They had the Brandon Ingram year where that was kind of mediocre. And then you know what they did? They got the, the three best players in the country, <laughs> you know, yep. and they were the cool team again. So this stuff can change on a on on a dime. Um, I guess the only difference for those years, though, to me, Kendall, was even like. The regular season's success was just much better than those years that you're talking about. Like to me, like yeah. with Coach Cal Power, and like you can say, oh, but like the win totals, like you know, Cal last three, four or five years. I mean, uh, twenty last three years, twenty six, thirty, and twenty five. I mean, those are all pretty. Those are great years. Yeah, but, they felt mediocre, but they were all great. Yeah, but 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 remember, the SEC was kind of weak for a lot of people, and they all those. I mean, in all those years, they had some tough non-conference losses so they never were coming in as a number one seed or number two seed even like all those years they were like four or five seeds they were good teams a lot of people thought they're dangerous like no watch out for them with duke and those like brandon with brandon ingram and jason Tatum, like people thought they'd see the win national championships they just flopped you know yeah so it, it was that's why when i say you know because like fans will probably look at that and say we're being unfair because calipari's record there even the last four or five years is still really good again sometimes you we don't know the run is over until we look back 10 years later. I'm just trying to look ahead. I'm looking at how things are going. And and I'm looking at the class they're bringing in next year. It's not K's class. We just talked about the guys K's bringing in. Cal's not bringing in them kind of dogs. He's bringing in good not players. Yet. 
You're bringing yeah. guys that in two, three years, again, kind of like the guys K has now, two, three years, I think they could be really good players. They're but not. Is he going to get a chance? You know, or will those guys say, oh, yeah, I got to be. Right, right. He's going to give him a chance, or he's going to tell him to leave after one year. Like, you know, or will those guys make the determination, I'm not supposed to be here more than one year. So I, I'm transferring. Yeah. Or, I, like, if, if Devin asks you going to be back for Kentucky next year, mm-hmm. maybe, or maybe not. I mean, he right. probably should come back. I mean, he's not going to the NBA. But, like, I think Kentucky should want him back. But I don't know. The way things go, I mean, they, we've, they all, we've also seen. I mean, K is used transfer. We've seen Cal Perry really rely on transfer sometimes to build to like to fill these gaps in ways that I just haven't seen K have to do. No. Transfer for K have always felt like an addition. With it, Cal Perry, it's like a lifeline. And again, yeah. he didn't have to do that before. He was getting everyone. So I don't know. To me, the change in the guard may be upon us, and I think maybe people. He- I don't want to go over the top with it, but what I think do you make people of, may not be. What, may not be what do you make it. of uh, Indiana? Um, you know they're not going to make the tournament. They're done. Mm-hmm. They just lost to Purdue uh, in, in in Lucas Oil Stadium and during the Big Ten tournament. IU fans chanting "Fire Archie." Mm-hmm. Um, is there any chance Archie Miller isn't back next year, or is? I mean, is there a chance? Is there a chance he is back? I don't know. Uh, is there a change not back? Yes. Um, will that happen? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but again, I kind of feel like I just I feel like it's the same conversation where I I don't think that Nike and, and the, I don't think they prioritize Indiana the way they have in the past. Yeah. Well, this like, is Adidas. Well, Adidas. I'm sorry, a, a different yeah. company. Uh, they used to be Nike at one point, I think. <laughs> but these teams go back and forth. But, like, to me, like, because I think the Calvin Santa era, they were Nike at that point. Like, I remember, like, that felt like right. a change. Like, they were. They were trying to bring Indiana back. And <laughs> Indiana was looking kind of yeah. good. And, then, you know, Calvin Santa made too, way too many phone calls. And then yeah. that whole thing blew up. And it just seems like since then, even though they've changed coaches and they've gotten some decent players here and there, it just never has felt like there's been that, like, motivation to really turn around Indiana by anyone beyond just the boosters and the fan base that's there. And it's, it takes more than just a good coach. Like, I think Archie Miller is a good coach. He showed that. I mean, you don't go to the tournament four years in a row at Dayton. Now, to be fair, obviously, you know, we saw uh, Anthony Grant put together what may have been a Final Four campaign that they played last year. But, right. I mean, yeah, what, 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 <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, and then you wonder, well, <laughs> maybe we oversold what Archie did. But, I mean, to be fair, I mean, you know, Anthony Grant, of course, is taking – over for what Archie, you know, set up. So, right, like, right. so for where Archie had, had got when he got that job, like, you don't do that at Dayton and have a team that's, you know, ranked in top 25 in most of those years and, 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 and goes to the NCAA tournament and you're a bad coach. So I don't think it's a coaching thing. I, I just, I, I look at the, again, I look at the roster. I, I don't, I don't know. I just don't see, I don't see perennial tournament team. From the guys they even bring in, so it, it's they brought they've gotten some good recruits every now and then, but as to me, what what I see, Kendall, and it's 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 weird because there, there are times where you'll see it, like uh, you'll see a team turn around with a class that you wouldn't have expected that was that great, but end up you know really over overachieving. That does happen. I think it's harder to do that in like the Big Ten or any of these major conferences. I feel you're more likely to see that in like a lesser, slightly lesser conference, or even a major conference that's not as good, like the SEC or the Pac-12. Um, to me, like if you're going to like an Indiana, 
Like, you need, like, a, you need what Kevin Sampson did. Like, you need, like, a crazy class, like, to come in and set the tone immediately if you're going to, like, set any kind of tone of, of, of being a consistent winner. And you know what, winner. what's interesting is not that necessarily that I see it the opposite, but I think, I think Archie tried to do that. But I think he got a mix of the wrong guys, and I think, like, like I, I because of that, like he didn't get the right he didn't get the right players. Like he couldn't. You think you think you almost think because he tried to do that, you know? Because like, like it, it's have, reason why they, they failed. didn't have a lot of talent and they weren't that great. But people are like, oh whatever, like these aren't his guys. These are Cream's guys when Cream was falling off. And then he got Romeo Langford, who's supposed to be like the biggest thing since sliced bread, and that was the guy they had to get. Nobody really thought they were gonna get him. And you know, Adidas figured out how to get away to get him to Indiana because they needed, they needed, they thought it'd be great for business, and it didn't pan out. Injuries, and you know, maybe Langford was a little overhyped, but like, I think that was supposed to be the year where it was like, all right, yeah, we're gonna. But but like, but see what you're saying, though, Kendall. Like, but but when you say that, Kendall, you're mentioning a guy, right? I said a class, right? That's the issue. Like, like to me, you and then the next year, you get Jack Davis. Good player now, but you know he's a multi-year guy. You know he can't be like Cream. He can't be, yeah. No, like Cream. Like he, like he got Zeller and Oladipo and like someone else in that first class. Like that's a class you bringing in guys who are coming. They're gonna hoop from day one. He already had Watford. He brought in Zeller. I mean, well, he brought in Oladipo, and then I think Zeller might have been a year younger than those guys. But like. Even he then, was, like, he was bringing in dudes. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Uh, Kellen so, Sampson was bringing in dudes. Like it wasn't one guy. And I think, like, like, but look, at the same time, let's be honest about all these guys, you know. And I think I we have to talk about Indiana basketball in general because it's Indiana basketball. I'm not going to say it's Nebraska football because that's an exaggeration. Mm. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Is it Michigan football? Like, what is mm. Indiana in 2020? You know. The difference between them and Nebraska is that look, it's a very fertile recruiting ground. So like that's the opposite of like Nebraska football. But right. outside of the very is it Tennessee football? Like, I think that's probably the better, the closer comparison. But like outside of that, Kelvin Sampson they weren't happy with. Tom Green they were happy with for like a couple of years, and then they weren't happy with him. And now they're not happy with Archie Miller and. Not to say Archie Miller done a great job. Not to say Crean was the greatest coach since sliced bread, or Kelvin Sampson didn't have his issues. But we see what Kelvin Sampson's done in Houston. Like clearly, you know, he wasn't the problem. Maybe Indiana's level of success that they're asking for is a little too high. Well, look, man, it's always weird when your when your all your success for your basketball program is tied to one man. It's always awkward. Yes. So to sustain that success is always tricky because Indiana has no history before Bob Knight. Yep. None. They did win one national championship in like 1953 or two, 1953 and 1940. But like, so a long time ago, they were not in the tournament every year. They were a decent team, but they weren't some, again, some perennial power by any stretch of the imagination. Bob, Bob Knight took the job. They had, come off two 17-win seasons. Uh, oh, no, sorry, one 17-win season. But before that, they had, like, three or four losing seasons in a row. So the problem comes, Bob Knight, obviously a legend, one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. And then, again, because I think this this whole system goes back decades, he got a lot of support from Nike. <laughs> 
Nike decided they wanted yeah. <laughs> to invest in Indiana basketball at that time too. And it's a chicken or egg thing. He came in immediately and was winning big time. His second year, they went to the Final Four. So, like, this, Bob Knight was that dude. I'm not trying to take, like, away from, like, all oh, he, like, they, he was gifted anything. But clearly they saw something, which is what I'm trying to say now. Like, clearly Nike's seen something in Gonzaga and Michigan and Villanova. Like, yeah. they saw something and they made the right call. Because of what the success brought. And, and But when that guy is not there anymore, and even his allure is, is gone, and now he just recently passed away to RIP to Coach Knight, like... Did Bob Knight die? I don't think he died. Right? I he died. Did he not die? Oh, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't kill him. No, I know that... My apologies. I know that they said he wasn't doing great um, the well, yeah, last so time. He got his thing retired. He wasn't looking good when he got his thing retired. Yeah, and I know people have said in Boston that he's not doing great. So apologies, Coach Knight, if you're not yeah. passed. <laughs> I, I do not want to kill you at all. Um... But the problem being, Kendall, is that when it's all tied to one guy, keeping up the quote-unquote tradition and what makes your school hot, like, if the, if, the, if the infrastructure isn't obvious and easy, it's very difficult. Some teams, like Ohio State football, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's like, man, if you can't win at Ohio State, like, I don't know, like, what are you right. doing? Like, like they got all the money, they got all the players, like... What are you? What are you doing? Like, like I, I, I don't know. Like that's why. I, and that's why when Homeboy couldn't beat Lloyd Carr, they got him out of there. Cooper, yeah. like, and he was a decent coach. So like, some of these programs, it's just, fam, like there's no excuse. And I don't know Indiana just to me isn't that kind of program because there, that's there's all any. When I think of Indiana basketball greatness, I don't even think of Bob Knight. And like we say, oh, but Indiana is blue blood. It's like, well, they're blue blood because he was there for forty years. Like, he hasn't been there for 20 years now, almost, or more than that. So, yeah, it's been like almost, it's, it's been 21 years since he last coached them. He, he, his last year was 2000. Yeah, 2000, yeah. So, when we talk about, like, you know, what is Indiana, you mentioned, you know, Michigan football. Like, I think, I, I think the Nebraska conversation is not that crazy. Yeah, I, see, I think it's Tennessee. I think it's Tennessee. Because Nebraska, because I think about Nebraska football, great Nebraska football, I only think of Tom Osborne. Yeah. I don't think of any other era. Right. And they seem to be having the same issues. Yeah, that's. An, I mean, that's an interesting. That's an interesting point. So if if you are if so look, you, they, they, I think we're assuming that they're going to make a coaching change. They may not because it's a pandemic. I don't. I don't. Go. I don't even. I don't assume that. I'm. I'm saying it's possible. I don't. I don't well, assume that that's what they're going to do. But uh, four years, no NCAA uh, tournament, definitely possible. The AD. They have a new AD, Scott Dolson. If you're Scott Dolson and you do make the change. Like, who are the guys at the top of the list? Who are your Who are your first calls? I mean, like, let's. I'm, I mean, I'm man, definitely I mean, calling. I'm definitely calling homeboy from Texas Tech. Oh, that was the guy I was thinking. That's the first like, call, probably. You know, I'm assuming Brad Stevens doesn't pick up. Uh, <laughs> look, the Brad Stevens thing is, is. I mean, it's getting a little more dicey in Boston. I'm not. They're not going to fire him. They just give me extension. But yeah, would there be a mutual parting of ways if Indiana mm-hmm. opened up? I don't know, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta call Chris Beard. So to me, I think Beard and Bennett are the two that you gotta make the call and yeah. say, you know, look, you guys are winning at an, ex- at an extremely high rate at jobs that are high degree know, of difficulty on both. Yeah. Jobs. Typically are a high degree of difficulty and you have the infrastructure at this point to where you're almost always going to win, but are you always going to cons- consistently compete for a national championship? And to me, I think. So, like, Indiana, to me, is in a very similar position to where UCLA was, where I think 
it's not it's it's not as cool as being UC it being it going to UCLA, but like I think it's one of those jobs where I think it kind of recruits itself. So, you know, like I don't think you need to go out and get like some player getter. You know, like you need to get a guy that oh this guy had to, had to, always gets the top recruiting classes. Like I think they need a really good basketball coach because in the Big Ten the Big Ten is a gauntlet. If you were talking about a team in a conference like the Pac-12 or like a, a you know a, 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 a smaller conference like the American, then getting a player getter like Memphis getting Penny Hardaway is really what they need. You know, because that really just put them over the edge of the rest of the teams in the American Conference. Um, but like that stuff isn't going to work in the Big Ten. Like you need a High level basketball coach. You know, you know who I also would call, and it's interesting how this could, how this would or could go. Steve Alford. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, I would call Fran McCaffrey, and I know it could be very Ooh, dicey. Fran McCaffrey going in conference, but yeah, I don't see. I don't trust Fran McCaffrey. Like, not necessarily. McCaffrey like... is a character. I'll He's be nice. I, I... I'll be nice. He's a character, and I get all of that. But you just mentioned you need an elite level coach. I think he's an elite level coach. He is. I think at Iowa, like he's got it as good as it's ever gonna get. Like, is it crazy? Like during senior night, like they is it insane? Is it insane to suggest that they? <laughs> it probably is, but we're freelancing on this podcast today. Is it insane to call back Kelvin Sampson? Is it insane? Uh, yo, I heard somebody. I don't know if the guy was joking, but somebody on Twitter was like, "Yo, bring back Kelvin." I mean, <laughs> yo, Kelvin Sampson was twenty-two and four when he lost the job. Man, his second I year. Yeah, I, I, I like. I mean, we've talked to Kelvin Sampson. He's a great. He's, he's an awesome man. dude, man. Watching, awesome dude. We were, I was watching that game this weekend, and he was telling an anecdote about uh, his, one of his seniors, Jean Giroux, and how mm. you know he felt like you know. He didn't think that that was a guy, you know, he said, I probably should have kicked him out of school when he first got here. You know, he some of the stuff he was doing and, you know, I didn't think he'd be a good, I wasn't sure if he'd be a good husband or a father, but mm. now, you know, he's, he, you know, he's really, he felt like, you know, he feels confident in all those things. Like it was, you know, it was touching my heart. But you know what's funny about Kelvin real quick, just real quick. I just want to say Kelvin to me remind is like, to me, like he, he like, it's like the epitome of like the evolution of like how we view college basketball. Because, like, that dude was, like, he was labeled a bad dude. <laughs> right. And, like, and it was because he made a lot of phone calls. And, okay, the Oklahoma kids didn't graduate at a rate you liked. And that probably wasn't the greatest. But when you learn about this guy, you talk to him. I mean, we talked to him a combined five minutes, maybe, in both of our conversations. Yeah. But he's just different. And then you see that the influence he's had on the team, on yeah. the city. He, you, you see why NBA teams really were interested in him. Why he was on an NBA staff. Why Houston loves him as much as they do. He's a special dude. Yeah. So when I think about, in the end, he's a special dude to me. And I just think about like just like this guy was able to bad guy. And I'm like, think about the guys. We've had since him, like Kelvin Sampson, a bad guy. Like, come on, fam. Like, right, right, right. He, okay, he, he called and, people. And like, so the only thing about Sampson is that, like, look, he's a he's an excellent coach, and he's. But again, it's like it's the American, you know. So mm-hmm. that's gonna be the, that's gonna be the aspect of it. Where, not to say that he would he would be better than I think what Archie Miller's done. 
Um, I think they'd be way more consistent. But would the level of success be enough to please Indiana fans? You know, and those are questions that I mean. Again, he was twenty-two and four when he lost the gig. That stuff is always. I mean, it's like when Pitt fired Dave Wonstadt in football after they went nine and three. And I don't think we've won that. I don't think we've won nine games since. Like it's always tragic, you know. It's like He's really gonna fight two and four, man. So, so I, I mean, so they, just, they fired him because I think they thought they they were gonna get hammered by the NCAA, which I guess they did. I think, like, so that was I think I think they felt like they had no choice. But yeah, yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. That was the that was he the was twenty two and four in his second year. Kevin Sampson, he was gonna turn that thing around. I'll say it. He was going yeah. to turn that thing around. But the feds called, and he got, he was holding the back, and then they smeared him out of the sport. Games. But I'd call him back. I'll tell you right now, I would call him back. Dana Alden was at Creighton, more way more regional, probably fits the Midwest better. Um, Oregon's a tough job yeah. to like yeah. get somebody. Alden's from. a really Alden's a really solid coach. I mean, I think he's better than Archie Miller. So yeah. I would, I would, I would, I would oh, consider. It. Yeah, I don't know if he's taking that job over Oregon, but you know, you got to make the call. Um, Jamie Dixon. Uh, I mean, he. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not going with Jamie Dixon. Yeah, Jamie Dixon's a tougher one. That that one. You're, that's that. Jamie Dixon's the guy you're, that you may end up with if like your uh, your first five or six options. Yeah, to me, like Jamie Dixon's like. Well, then why did you fire Archie? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jamie Dixon's idea were like, yo, we had to fire Archie, and maybe we didn't get the greatest guy to come out of it, but, like, who knows what will happen, but we need a change. Right. And maybe they're at that point. Like, like maybe, like, Jamie Dixon's a fine basketball coach. I, my, again, my only thing would be, like, well, Archie Miller was a fine basketball coach. So, look, you could, we could, sometimes, again, for, unfortunately, it's very rare you have a Kevin Willard. Where you have like five years of it look like you're going nowhere, and all of a sudden, <laughs> it all just turns around. Yeah. Like, like it, it's rare that happens. So when you go four years and we've seen no sign of Indiana resurrection, I'm not saying it's impossible, but oof, it, it just it just looks like it ain't gonna work out. So I, I, you know, so I, so I understand they change it, and if if the guy Dixon's the guy who's left, and Dixon's a great co- is a great coach, and he's done a good job at TCU, I would get it, but I, I would also then kind of you know do a double take. Do you call? So, I mean, do you call Scott Drew? Oof. yeah. Uh, you I mean, got it right. You got to call him, right? You call him. I mean, when it takes the job is, is another question. He already got a relationship with Adidas. He's from yeah. the Midwest. He's a Midwest legend. Well, not oh, his brother's legend. He he he. he yeah. He's from a legendary. He's from a legendary family. I would say. Yeah. In the region. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got it. You got to call him. Can I give you one more name? I was gonna say. I was gonna say a name too. But if you, oh, I'll give say. you. I actually give you two names. Well, no, no. I'll give you one. Um, it's a little weird. He just signed an extension, but the extension he got, I'll be honest, no disrespect to him for the money he got, but it was trash. Do you give Leonard Hamilton a, a, a like a retirement job? Say, yo, we'll pay you ten million, something crazy. I know <laughs> you, you know, only got four years, but we just we're, things are so bad that we know you'll come in and you'll recruit and we'll win. Like I'm always I'm always super skeptical of those, but I'm like, it's I know. Nice. 
really gonna. But I Leonard mean, is such a good coach, and he's such a proven commodity. And Indiana is so bad; like, it doesn't matter if he's only there five years. Leonard Hamilton, like in terms of his for his career, you say that. But do you see the contract he got? Yeah, <laughs> I did not see the contract. Yo, got. look up his <laughs> extension, man. They gave him, they gave him the 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 the, the Best Buy discount, man. I'm like D- Leonard Hamilton has been coaching this co- coaching his behind off all these years, and this is the money he got. I mean, I'm trying to look it up now, but like, I, I whatever his contract was, it was not what it should have been. I was very disappointed. This was a guy that did not have a good year this year. A lot of it has to do with some uh, off the court stuff, with you know his best player not being able to play. Do you give Bruce Pearl a, a call? I just, all, don't, I just don't think I want to mess around with the NCAA like that's that. That's the thing. Yeah, it's like you even yeah, yeah. It's like because you're just asking for you're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna get sanctioned under Bruce Pearl. It's just it's just yeah. gonna happen. It's just how it's, I mean, it's get it's not a diss. It's just what has happened everywhere he's gone. So yeah, and they're not they're not in a position to, to take that kind of loss. Uh, yeah. By the way, Leonard Hamilton five year extension eleven million. That's ridiculous to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Indiana could top. They could double that salary. Easy. Yeah, easily. Easy. So, he's 72 years old. So, that's the obvious downside. But I only bring his name up because of just how mediocre Indiana's been for so long. And if you're that desperate to be good really fast, I, I could argue he's the best option. Yeah. I, I'm not going to argue that he's going to be good for 10 years, but... Uh, that that's just those are I guess the names we throw out there. I feel like you know, we're at the end of the show because we've gone so long. I yeah. feel like we should almost do a lightning round these last two topics. Um, yeah. Les Miles out at Kansas. Jeff Long also out at Kansas. Do you feel like this is a bow tied up neatly here, or should it be something else levied against Kansas for what happened? Uh. To me, I think this is, uh, I guess, punishment enough. I mean, look, I mean, the, the basketball program uh, is gonna hopefully at some point deal with their own sanctions, mm-hmm. and I think those will. Be, I don't think people like if something happens to the football program for, for hiring Les Miles. Like, I don't think anybody would care. Um, you know, I don't think Kansas would care. I think, all right, no tournament. I mean, no, no bowl, no, no bowl games. All right, so <laughs> that's um, like, uh, that's like, uh, you know, when something like a, like the average dude is like. Yeah, man. Uh, I guess I won't be able to axe out, you know, J Lo or something. Right? <laughs> you know, um, I'm just like, uh, I don't think you got to worry about that, bud. Uh, yeah. Any real sanctions? To I saw. I saw. I saw a tweet today. Um, it was kind of harsh because Duke had obviously someone got COVID, which is not good. But I only bring it up because it's kind of relates to what we're talking about. Someone had the Michael Michael Scott meme when he was like, "With my draw myself from consideration like a promotion that he wasn't offered." <laughs> it's like this is Duke talking to the NCAA tournament uh, committee today, <laughs> right? Um, I hope everybody at Duke is okay and they're able to uh, uh, be out their COVID situation. But um, I hear you on that. I mean, it, it probably it probably is fine. Um, I do hope you know beyond maybe the NCAA getting involved. I do hope that we just it, I just hope we just there's way more scrutiny on just the guys that are getting hired. To be coaches, like I just uh, do. I want to go here. Oh, I'll just say this: I feel like, as a country, and I hate saying that because that's like very cliche. But as a country, I just think we need to really start to take take a second look 
and think about who we're putting in charge of things and their character and like what it means for them to be in those roles. And, and realize you think about the drawbacks of what happens if somehow it, it is learned how this person really is. Because whether it be the governor of New York, New York State, whether it be Les Miles, any of these Me Too clowns, like, or the, the racist that we've seen come out, like, a lot of the times it's people that we kind of know, like, people know are troublesome for a lot of reasons. And I hope from the media, from the people involved making decisions, that that takes a lot more credence and light rather than just can this is this guy great or woman great for the job beyond that i don't know if there's enough attention that i don't there hasn't been enough attention on those kind of things and what I, what I hate seeing is some of these explosive stories come out years later and then you got folks saying oh yeah well we knew the guy was trouble problematic for a long time well, we've been saying that well why 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 were they in this position in the first place not at all talking about accusers here and be clear it's talking about as a system, as an institution, when it comes to these places. That's not information we should be learning two, three, four years later of issues. And I just hope, from that standpoint, there is a major change in terms of business not being as usual. Yeah. Uh, it, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, um, you know, in terms of, I honestly, I could care less about who the next coach at Kansas is. Um, you know, it's not going to be, it's almost certainly not going to be anybody that we've ever heard of. Because uh, I don't know if anybody we've ever oh, heard yeah. of. Yeah. Taking it's, it. the worst. It's, it's like literally one of the worst jobs in college football. Yeah. So um, I'm honestly more interested to see who becomes the athletic director. Some, you know, a lot of a lot of KU uh, basketball alums have been thrown out there. Uh, Milt Newton, former NBA player. and Danny Manning uh, take the job? GM Danny Manning Manning's been thrown out there. The Danny Manning thing's so awkward because I'm like, I mean, he was just a head coach in college basketball, so like, I mean, maybe that makes him qualified. But at the same time, it's like, what is he gonna hire well, himself? Look, they only care about college basketball anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. So it'll be all good. He's the perfect person. I mean, that's the, yeah, that's the thing. Like, to steer you, the ship in terms yeah, of you what you know, basketball should look like at all. So, um. But yeah, that that this the whole Kansas thing would be fascinating. I was gonna say one thing real quick is that someone mentioned uh Dad Mata at Indiana as well. And I think that that could be a Rick Barnes like kind of thing. You know? Like the Rick Barnes Uh I can see that. I think Dad Mata deserves a second shot. People kinda rolled their eyes when Rick Barnes went to Tennessee, like I did they... not though. Remember? I was the one yeah. I I I, yeah, I was one of those guys. I like, yeah, <laughs> I, I I was really for Rick Barnes at Tennessee. And man, that was probably one of my best Yeah man hot take calls in terms of coaching, maybe ever. You saw Tony Elliott, we were we were talking about Tony Elliott uh on this podcast going to Tennessee football, you know, when Tennessee's job opened up. And he he did an interview this week where he basically said they asked him why he didn't go to Tennessee. He was like, yeah, you know, just wasn't the right time. You know, I want a place where, you know, I can really compete. I'm like, wow. Mm. You, he, basically, he's saying, like, I could never win an after game. Just burying Tennessee. Yeah, just absolutely burying them. And, hey, look, I mean, look, it is what it is. He, I mean, he's not in a, he's not in a position where he needs to beg for a job. or he needs nope. to, He's one of the highest paid assistants in the, in the country. Yep. Um, higher paid than most coaches. Like head coaches or a lot of head coaches, and I mean, any major job that comes up, he's going to be on the list. So, 
he has his pick of choices at this point. So I, I get why he's being he being picky about it. But you know, I mean, not saying you, saying you can't win a championship with Tennessee is. Uh, oh, it's man. gonna anger that fan base. Yeah, that's a blow. They, you know, that fan base is way more uh, active than I realized before they uh, they um, canned uh, Greg Shannon before he even be hired. And I was like, okay, these people are serious. I know they had a great <laughs> fan base, but man, they are involved in this. Um, also, quickly, uh, Dak Prescott, $164 million, I believe, four years. Good money, bad money, right money. 120 guaranteed. Look, I mean, it's great money for Dak Prescott. It's um, great money for Dak Prescott, for sure. You know, his him and his agent did a wonderful job. I'm super happy based off of that injury that he's yeah. able to, you know, even before being... I'm, I mean, I'm sure they have an idea that he's healthy. I mean, he's probably working on stuff. And they see that, all right, he's good. But, um, you know, even before stepping foot in a, you know, in a game, you know, he gets this contract. So I'm super happy for him. You know, for the Cowboys, it's a risk. Uh, I think the question you have to ask if you're Dallas is, you know, you saw what Washington did when, you know, they let go of Kirk Cousins. They didn't want to pay him because they didn't feel he was an elite quarterback. Uh, and honestly, both sides kind of aren't really in the best spot. I mean, I guess Cousins isn't a better chance to win, but maybe not. You know, Minnesota wasn't very good this year. Um, and yeah, Washington was in the playoffs. And Minnesota was not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say Washington. They had the, they had the same uh, record, but probably. But at the same, same time, like, yeah, I know, right? Um, but like Washington, you know, doesn't have a quarterback, and they they don't really have. They're almost too good to get one, you know. So how where where are they getting their quarterback of the future at this point? So it, you know, goes both ways. You know, would Washington, if they could go back, just pay Kirk Cousins? If you pay Kirk Cousins, you probably don't get Chase Young. You know, you probably can't pay a lot of the other guys on that team because you have a, such a high-priced quarterback. Like, it goes both ways. So, um, you know, I could see Dallas saying, like, is the grass always greener by moving on from Dak? Because Dak's not a top-five quarterback in the league. I don't know if he's top ten. But can you find a guy, like, you know, are you going to find a guy that's better than Dak and that can win? Uh, I don't know. You know, those guys don't grow on trees. They really only grow in the draft. And right now the Cowboys aren't bad enough. They were pretty bad this year, and they're pretty close. But even then, right now they're at ten in the draft. They're gonna have to. They'd have to really, really make a move to get a quarterback. So there's it, a lot of ways of thinking about it. I don't think he's he's worth the money he got necessarily. But for the Cowboys, they're in an interesting they're in an interesting spot. And I, I think you made the case that that Dak Prescott had to get his money, or at least they had to sign him to something long term because of the other moves they made. Uh, you commit to Amari Cooper, you commit to Ezekiel Elliott the way they did. How how can you not sign Dak Prescott? How could you risk him going to free agency or continuing to play games and franchise tagging him and maybe risking really alienating him to a point where he holds out or something like that? Like, the Cowboys are a win-now team. And in some ways, they're kind of how the Knicks have always been in the past, where, like, they're kind of perpetually always in a win-now mode. So, therefore, like, you're always trying to rob Peter to pay Paul to keep yourself relevant, keep yourself as a quote-unquote contender. So when you're in that field, like, the quarterback is the guy you can't lose. He's he's everything. And as you said it, and we said it on the show a million times, it's just so hard. If you've got even a decent quarterback, to upgrade that position is mission impossible for a lot of teams. 
So when you got a good one and he plays for the Dallas Cowboys and he's the face of your franchise, it's like, I mean, good luck if you really want to, you know, let him walk. Is he worth all this money? No. But I'd argue I'd almost rather give him this money than give whatever they gave Zeke. Like, it's just like like Zeke Elliott didn't live up to anywhere near what his contract was. Didn't even rush for a thousand yards this year. I know he did play a lot of year without Dak Prescott, but you would think that if he's the best player on the team, he would be able to carry the team. Clearly he wasn't. So with a quarterback, I know I'm gonna get production, I know I'm gonna get numbers with him because he's a talented player. Will I get the you know, super nuclear quarterback play that I'm getting from my, you know, Lamar Jackson or Pat Mahomes, maybe not, but I'll get, they'll get good enough quarterback play. Uh, Dak Prescott to me is good enough to win a Super Bowl under the right circumstances with the right team. So it's just, it, it's, it's just one of those things where in a vacuum, I would say no way in hell would I pay Zach all this crazy money, but the football is so weird and the NFL is so weird with just, okay, if you're not going to pay him that, how are you, what are you going to do with quarterback? There isn't an obvious, easy answer. If they decided that trading for uh, Russell Wilson was just not feasible and they may have decided that because maybe the the price might've been absurd and it probably is and should be. I don't even know if the Texans would trade Deshaun Washington to the Cowboys. That has not even been discussed, but like, even if it was, I don't know if Houston would want to do that kind of trade within the state. Like, if those aren't feasible options, I don't know what you're doing. Because drafting drafting another quarterback and letting Dak walk or drafting a quarterback and tagging Dak and making this be a one-year situation to bridge to the quarterback you have this year, which, again, you're drafting at 10. Uh, is that Trey Lance? I mean, I, 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 like, like Lance yeah, wouldn't even get him to 10, probably. I mean, right. That would be, like, best-case scenario. <laughs> right. So is it, Mac, is it uh, Mac Jones? Yeah, it's Mac Jones, more than likely. Unless you trade up, no, you can't do that. You can't do that with the guys you got. You can't do that with an easy Elliott, Amari Cooper, with the offensive line they have put together. Like that team is not built for a your rookie quarterback to come in. So, yep, they they had to resign them. The money is the money. You know <laughs> that to me, like the the championship window is next year and the year after that. Because once if they don't get it done in the next few years, some of these guys they got to make decisions on, and it's not going to be pretty. But they're a win now team. So it is what it is. Uh, I think that's going to do it for this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. I thought this would be a shorter edition, but, man, we, we squeezed a lot out of the orange today, and I really appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversations. Of course, if you want to catch all of our shows, check us out at the New Generation Podcast Network. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at New Generation Pod, Instagram New Generation Podcast, and Facebook New Generation Media. Follow Kendall on Twitter at New Gen Ken. Follow me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace. <laughs>